the way that Sakaguchi would be saying it is that when you're first born, you, you're born into a world of death. But when you die, then you're born into the world of life uh, yeah. upon death. And mm -hmm. that's what that's I think what this whole movie is saying, basically, is right. that. that. And you that get that it. from just the camera movement. Yeah. Of Hello, welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. And you were probably expecting to click on an episode called Planescape Torment Episode 1. And this is not that. <laughs> but, but bless you for clicking this one anyways. <laughs> this is Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Yes. Uh, the first Final Fantasy film that was a disaster at the box office and uh, who people think was this sort of end or the reason why Square uh, had uh, financial trouble in, in the fiscal year in which it uh, released. Right. Um, and uh, or the fiscal quarter in which it released. Mm -hmm. We're going to go over all kinds of uh, sort of rumors of that sort and, and straighten some things out about this movie that are maybe misconceptions. But more than anything, I want to focus on what the, the movie's core themes and, and, and ideas are really about. I think that's much less discussed when it comes to talking about this movie. I think a lot more often people are interested in talking about its failures and is a is it really yeah. that bad of a movie? I did a quick search and I was looking for people who were seriously analyzing this film and it's basically nobody. Not very many. <laughs> basically nobody. <laughs> there were some people who were talking about specifically, you know, the the alive planet part yes. of this um, movie. But as far as like the whole movie itself, it was yeah. very little. Yeah. So we want to try and do something a little more serious in terms yeah. of looking at this. I mean, of course... I don't think either of us think it's a great film, but no. that's not what we're focusing on today. I think no. what we're going to try to focus on is more kind of um, what they were going for with it and, and some of the more interesting things that we found there. Yeah. So this is not a hate on Final Fantasy Spirits Within uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, that being said, uh, we do want to explain a little bit, um, and, and we'll put time codes here in case you're clicking on this and you're watching us for the first time, you don't care about some house cleaning items. Mm -hmm. Just get straight into the analysis. That'll Go be ahead. there. But um, people were expecting Planescape Torment uh, this week, and we are taking some time to prepare for that series. Yeah. Um, it is a game that I have played before, Kaysen has not, right? and um, I really want to do justice to this game, um, and, and so I want to take a little extra time to prepare for it um, so that our analysis can be as good as possible. I, I really want this to be the kind of thing that rivals, say, our Xenogears series. Um, so in order to do that, we're going to take a few extra weeks to prepare for that. We are going to have Max Derrett on as a guest for that series. So those of you who know his channel, he's done a some great videos on Planescape Torment. Mm. He's gonna be joining us for that. So all of us, him included, are taking some extra weeks here to prepare for that series. So that's why um, we're gonna have some filler episodes in, in between, but th they'll still be fun, like this, Final Fantasy Spirits Within, right? Yeah. yeah. I think some people will, uh, will, will, will like to hear what we have to say about this. But that, that's, that's just what I wanna say Get that out of the way, and uh, we will um, announce when Planescape is coming up. We'll have a video that announces, hey, Planescape's coming up, start your playthroughs, you know, uh, so that you guys can join us in kind of sort of the book club format for that. So, okay. Um, so, James Lovelock. Had you ever heard of this guy? Um, James before Lovelock. 
watching no. this movie and doing a little bit of research on some things. No, that would I be had a big no. Either. I hadn't either. And I, I was it was interesting to me that I hadn't <clears throat> because I've done a lot of research, like years worth of research into like the development history of Final Fan the Final Fantasy series, like the main series of games. And um, for whatever reason, I hadn't really seriously done that for the film, even though the release of the film was sort of a like a, a, a hinge point moment in the series history as being one in which yeah. the, the creator of the series um, sort of ended up stepping down from an executive position because of some of the financial failures that went along with right. this. And I think what most people understand about it is simply that its financial failure was so enormous that it hurt square so bad yeah. that Hironobu Sakaguchi was sort of in a position where he was kind of, I don't want to say forced as much as obligated or felt obligated to take to responsibility fall for sword. it. Fall yeah. on his own sword. And, and I have also heard people say that this is the reason why they had to merge with Enix to begin with. Yes. Oh no, the film was bad. Someone please help us out. We need help. <laughs> now, a lot of people don't know that that yeah. merger was planned before this way before, movie was yeah. released. Mm -hmm. but They were in talks about it way before. Yeah. The only reason it got delayed was because of... Exactly. It did. It did yeah. affect it. It did affect it, the merger. Yeah. But it's not the cause of it. No. It just took a. a it took Final Fantasy X, uh, like 10. a couple months yes. later, coming out yeah. and getting the finances back in order Which for how, them to. How strange yeah. is that? Yeah. And, and the that, weirdest thing is that oh, Final Fantasy X was delayed. Oh right. So it was supposed to come out uh, in the fiscal quarter. What would have happened? And and it would have totally not made the company go in red had it right. done that. But because it was delayed a few months, it fell into the next fiscal quarter. Yeah. And so this one looked really bad. Well, and the game itself would have served as marketing for the film. Yes. Right? So the game selling gangbusters would have made people go, oh, there's a movie Ooh, for yeah, it. Let's yeah, go yeah. watch it. Not yeah, sure. knowing what they were getting themselves into. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> um, maybe we should talk about that for a second. Like, <laughs> I remember... Uh, so I had just played Final Fantasy VII. I don't even think I had finished the game yet, though. I think yeah. I was still, like, oh, kind right. of playing through it. Was well, this 2001? Yeah, was actually, this? that's probably not true, because this game, this movie came out in 2001. Yeah. So I would have at least had played Final Fantasy VII one, or maybe I was on a second <laughs> playthrough. Because right. we got the game, the PC version, in, yeah. like, 99 or something Yeah, I like remember that. that's when you showed it to me was 99 or 2000. It was definitely yeah. before this. So I had played Final yeah. Fantasy VII before this. However, um, I don't think I... Well, I know that I did not really understand, <laughs> like, what Final Fantasy VII was about, <laughs> per se. Right. I think right, right. my child brain had sort of grasped certain concepts that got me thinking a little bit. Gotcha. Which you know, continued my love for that game over the years and has made me play it over and over and think about it more and more. But, you know, for the time, I, I thought Final Fantasy was Cloud and the Buster Sword and mm -hmm. Shinra and, like, that's all I knew about that's what it, it is, really. Yeah. I knew that there were other games. I didn't really know much about them. I hadn't right. really gone back and played all of them yet. This, this was about the time where I would have started doing that. Mm. So my dad brought home from, like, Blockbuster one night this Final Fantasy movie. Hmm. And he, he the talking points, the marketing points, I'm sure the guy at Blockbuster who was like suggesting something for his family to watch yeah. told him, oh, these, these um, uh, three-dimensional characters, these CGI characters, they look like real people. That was and a big marketing yeah, point. Yeah, it was all about like, you know, maybe uh, CGI actors 
will, right. will, can can actually be used in different movies That's and hilarious. they'll be indistinguishable yeah. from real people. Yeah, 23 <laughs> years ago they were saying that and that has not still happened. I think it's no. getting closer, but like yeah, no. it's not happened yet. Uh, no, not even close. <laughs> um, but it was really, really impressive yes, CGI it was. for its time. For its time. Nowadays um, it looks like about a PS5 game. Yeah. But maybe PS4. <laughs> I don't know. PS5 might be too generous. <laughs> but uh, at the time... Man, this was something else. It yeah. really was. And it came out around the same time as Lord of the Rings. But yeah, it did. It did. Um, and and like the the Matrix had come yeah, out before a year this. Two before. Um, but like yeah. the, the sequels to that, which used a lot, lot more CGI. Right. Those were around this time. And the Animatrix and stuff were yeah, kind of like coming right. out after this. So yeah. um major like humanoid photorealistic 3D characters were yeah. starting to become a possibility or at least convincing enough for yeah. the audiences to accept at this point. But this was the first fully animated photorealistic film. So like Toy Story had come out before this and things like that, yeah. which were fully 3D animated. But this was the first one that attempted photorealism to right. this extent. Which would be something similar to like, well, I think a, a year after this is when Tom Hanks filmed the uh, Polar Express. Yeah. And it's you, you get a lot of that uncanny valley yes, stuff for with, sure. with these films, especially watching them 20 years later. It's yeah. like, oh man. Looks weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I was going through some of like the director commentary and stuff on the DVD. And mm -hmm. even they a lot of times were like, oh, this was early on a production. I really wish we had been able to render this to go back, differently yeah. and use different lighting. Oh, here the lighting's really good. Uh, here the lighting's not. The, yeah. Even they are aware of right. like certain points where they, they feel like they could have done better. But I mean, that's going to mm. be true of any project. That's where, true, yeah. Um, you, you learn through the process. This movie was made over four years. Mm. So the movie yeah. releases in 2001. Which is weird. That means that like the month after FF7 got yes, big, basically. they were like, we're making a movie. Final Fantasy VII launched so many initiatives inside mm -hmm. of Squaresoft. It, 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 was, it was so successful yeah. that, like, they got outrageously, I feel like, ambitious at this point. Yeah. They started having multiple teams rather than just one working on Final yeah. Fantasy. Yeah. So you had Final Fantasy VIII and nine and ten yeah. and eleven. I think they were, were all in production all in at production once. In, 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 at certain points through yeah. their. Production, they had four games in the Final yeah. Fantasy series in production at the same time, which is yeah. like absurd. That's like freaking crazy. Yeah. So like at the as Final Fantasy VIII is, oh, is nearing were, the end. They were re-rendering these intros to the old games for the re-releases of like FF4 and 5 yes. and 6. Yes. They, they kind of paid for these really kind of cool in some ways, but these CG new intros for all of them. Yes. Like there was just a lot going on. Like people yes. have to oversee those things. Yeah. And so like... Final Fantasy VIII and say it's po like very very end phases of like I don't know QA testing and, and yeah. getting ready to go on sale while they're in pre production for Final Fantasy X while yes. Final Fantasy IX is in production in yeah. while uh, you got another team trying to come up with this MMO and this whole yeah. like uh, online sort of like uh, system that they were going to be using to play online right and they've got a feature film. At the same time, all and Sakaguchi in <laughs> is doing like all of it, yeah, right? I know he was pretty hands off for for eight, but eight and ten. He was more just executive producer. Yeah, but the but. executive producer doesn't do nothing. I, I mean, it's it's just crazy <laughs> that he was balancing 
all of these things at yeah. once. Absurd. Yeah. And because uh, he was executive vi vice president of the whole freaking yeah. Squaresoft, and I think he was uh, heading up um, Squaresoft America, like oh, yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. It, it was just headquartered in Hawaii. Crazy. Yeah. And so they built <laughs> they a studio, built a huge, expensive studio, an, an enormously expensive mm -hmm. film production well, uh, studio yeah. in Hawaii, in Honolulu. Um, and, and then they folded a year later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they still uh, used it. But. So basically, yeah, Square Productions, uh, the the film company Square Productions, yeah. went under after this film released and wasn't yeah. successful. But they had they had all kinds of plans for it. I mean, they Aki, the main character yeah, the of Spirits Within, was supposed to become essentially a CGI actor in multiple things. Yeah. So the only thing that actually ended up happening for, because they didn't have a chance to realize this after right. the failure of the film, but there actually is footage of when the Wachowskis, the Wachowskis were oh, planning the, the Animatrix. Animatrix. That's right, yeah. They were kind of collaborating or in talks with Square Productions to do right. some of the animation for that. And they, they basically got like one of the models for the, um, for the machines and they had Aki with like short hair in like a black matrix right. suit fighting like, against like one of these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as like a, a demonstration for what they could do with this. Yeah. And so like there's actually footage of that online that you can find is like Aki Ross Animatrix. Nice. And it's just a little short. And, and she's got like this like really short hair and she's like fighting. But that was the mm. whole plan for her was that she was going to be this digital actress that would appear in multiple different films and in yeah. different roles. And so like they were like way, way up in the clouds yeah. thinking like we're going to have all these things going on. And, that didn't end up happening, but that's mm -hmm. how successful FF7 was. It like blew totally out of proportion what they thought that they would be able to do. Yeah, <laughs> it made them it made them think that they could really do anything. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I'm not going to fault anybody for ambition, but I mean, obviously, no. Uh, and I'm sure they were able to just kind of write a lot of these losses off on their taxes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> like it's not a big deal. Like to have the separate. Oh well, Square Productions folded, and we're gonna roll this over into next quarter, and then the losses from the previous are gonna outweigh, and then we'll just take it off of the tax bill, and then we'll say yeah. that no profit, and then we can put things and move things around, and then before you know it, you don't have to pay any taxes, <laughs> and you totally bombed a film, but you actually made money off of it. Anyways. I know, right? like it's crazy because uh, I think with DVD sales were a big deal, and I don't know that those are as well tracked. I don't know how much this yeah, movie made in DVD sales. I don't know how they tracked that back then. I'm sure off of, uh, you know, individual codes in the well, stores and whatnot. We know on the, bo the box office it was $85 million, right? Yes. That's that's strictly box office, not yeah. including DVD sales. The, but the movie cost $137 million, produced, <laughs> yeah. which is... Yes. I mean, even, I mean, like, I know today budgets are totally out of control on big yes. blockbuster movies. Mm -hmm. They get up to like 300, 400 million now. But at the time, that's, that was more expensive than, than filming the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, right. Like yeah, the yeah. whole Lord of the Rings trilogy was like somewhere around a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I can't remember actually. Because they filmed it all at once, which helped with that. Yes. They didn't break and then come back and film another movie. Well, they, they but, did for pickups. Yeah, because after the first movie was successful, right. they were like Peter Jackson was like, "All right, guys, we're we got to do pickups. <laughs> we're going to refilm everything." Yeah, so this animated film, this single animated film, cost I, I you could say something like three times as much as any individual 
Lord of the Rings movie did <laughs> and made far, far, far less money than oh the three gosh. of those movies combined made. Which so, is funny because when you talk crazy. about that legal bookkeeping and whatnot, yeah. they claimed... Universal yeah. or New Line claimed that the, the Lord of the Rings was not profitable. Are you serious? That they made zero, and that's oh why they refused to pay Peter Jackson. It had to be settled Whatever. with a lawsuit. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like, anyways. Uh, that's what they do. Whenever you say big losses or big gains in a movie, it's yeah. like you can be sure that that's being used for um, to smooth over other areas of, you know, sure. of, of the business. Yeah. It's pretty funny. So anyway, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is kind of known or, or, or what what is really talked about when it comes to this film. Um, yeah. But when my dad brought that movie home, I got so excited because, like, Final Fantasy VII yeah. was this new game that I yeah. really loved, one of my favorite games. Oh, Cloud's going to be in it. I was like, oh, yeah, because I hadn't really mm. realized that. I, I The only other Final Fantasy thing at all that I had really seen before this was I had some friends when I lived in Colorado Mm -hmm. which would have been really the first piece of Final Fantasy media I'd ever been introduced to, had Final Fantasy VIII. VIII, oh, that, yeah, yeah. That, I had only talked about yeah. that in the context of arguing whether or not <laughs> that, was, better. What, that was better or <laughs> Zelda was better because they had a <laughs> PlayStation right. and I had a Nintendo 64. And, and so course, we had to argue about... Yes, you had to. Yeah. Yeah, that's so life, man. That was just how things were back then. Uh -huh. so, I was, so I remember even back then, people were speculating, oh, Zelda from Final Fantasy VIII, that's the son of oh. Cloud and Tifa. And he's oh, got the blonde spiky hair. Because his hair, yeah, yeah. So people, spiky hair is yes. genetic. Like how you gel your hair, that's genetic. <laughs> yes, exactly. So no, uh, a lot of us did not understand that Final yeah. Fantasy was more of an anthology series. They didn't really tie into each other. That, that was hard to understand. That only started happening after Sakaguchi yeah. left yeah, and yeah. Iwata took over. Before that, they, they, they were very against that whole concept of direct sequels or mm -hmm. being the stories being attached to each other in, in any way. So I didn't understand that concept. So mm -hmm. when my dad puts this movie in and I'm watching it, I'm like, what on earth does this have to do with Final Fantasy? I had no idea. Yeah. Well, watching it now and actually finally understanding kind of like some of the core concepts of Final Fantasy VII, oh, okay. Right. It's all about this idea of the Gaia hypothesis. Right. Um, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. And that brings me all the way circling around to what I said at the beginning. Had you ever heard of James Lovelock? No. Before watching this movie, like this week. <laughs> no, I did not. Please me tell either. me. So James Lovelock was kind of this independent scientist. His life is actually really fascinating. He worked in MI5 and oh, was actually range. compared to being like the Q from oh, like the really? James Bond movies yeah, yeah. in the, the real MI5. The tech dude. <laughs> um, but outside of that, he also uh, did a lot of work for like um, like cryonics. So oh, like, cool. uh, you know, basically the concept of like freezing people and yeah. being able to bring them back to life later. He started a lot of like the initial research into that. He was um, very much into science fiction, uh, a futurist. But um, his this is probably what he's most known for is the guy hypothesis. Okay. And he came up with this while he was working for NASA. Right. So NASA had hired him to help them figure out a way to look at the atmospheres of distant planets mm. and find out whether or not they might have conditions suitable for life on them. Right. So based on the, the, the type of light that they're receiving from that planet, they can tell what elements yeah. are in the atmosphere. They can do that. This is real. This yes. is a thing. Yeah. So basically he's the one who 
kind of pioneered a lot of that work. Nice. And um, was able, because they were really interested at the time in finding it. This is like the 1960s. So they were interested in finding out, do, is, is Venus and, uh, are Venus and Mars, do they have elements in their atmosphere that make them suitable for life? Could life right. be on these planets? Right. Of course, now we know, no. But no. that's largely in part because of what he helped them cool. uh, with in terms of uh, developing the technology that we are able to use to tell that. <laughs> so, but in doing this, what he sort of, uh, maybe like a light bulb, a light bulb kind of moment for him was that he had this idea that the earth was, and this isn't even really controversial. There are other parts of the theory or the hypothesis that are, this is not, that the earth has a set of self-regulating systems yeah. that are very similar in a lot of ways to uh a living organism. Right. right? A very slow moving, very large living organism. Yeah. yeah. And so if, um, and, and this is mostly when we're talking about, say, like the geology of the planet, you know, the, the uh, formation of land masses and volcanoes and all this stuff, um, and yeah. then life. So like the elements that are released into the atmosphere from life itself, yeah. whether that be uh, plants that release oxygen, right. um, uh, those of us that breathe that oxygen and release carbon dioxide, uh, and methane is methane, another really, yeah. really important one. Right. Um, I've, I've heard some estimate that like termites are like, they produce like 50% or something like that of the methane. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. That's I was crazy. just kind of like scrolling through stuff, but like termites, uh, which, you know, consume like a ton of, yeah. uh, wood and stuff like that, um, are apparently, responsible for like a ton of the methane that's in our atmosphere because there's just freaking billions and billions and billions and hundreds of billions of termites on the planet. Okay. Anyway, um, so th there's sort of like what, what he was describing as like this, uh, uh, what do they call it? The, the negative, the negative, not negative feedback loop. Yeah. Negative feedback loop, I mm. think where things start kind of moving in one direction and it's getting uh. a little too much this way. We're having a yes. little too warm the right. climate. And so, like, this, the, the Earth has this kind of system that sort of regulates that and brings it back this way. And right. that it's this sort of relationship between the life forms on the Earth and the geology of the Earth. Yeah. That kind of do this pull back and forth to yeah. more or less, if we're talking about just, you know, relatively, keep the Earth in this climate and in, right. in this uh, sort of, um, uh, what's the word, homeostasis right. that makes it suitable for life. And right. the, I think the most interesting part about that is you go back, you know, a certain number of billions or millions of years and the sun was less bright right. and hot than it is now. And the earth is still the same relative distance to the mm. sun. So why isn't the earth much, much warmer now than it would have been then? And of course, it's gone through ice ages and things like that. Sure. But the point is that relatively speaking... Even though the sun is brighter and hotter now than it was then, the conditions for life are still kind of in that same, like the Goldilocks fresh zone. hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's so interesting. But and that's because of the atmosphere and what it kind of can do, and it right. lets certain things go and allows other things to to stay right. in. Right. Yeah, that's kind of that's cool. So his observation of this was, the Earth is kind of acting like. A, a living organism, like a yeah. cell, or even just like our bodies, where right. certain uh, certain things happen. We 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 um, 
contract an illness, we get a flu, and our yeah. body temperature starts going up. There are all these systems in the body that, that, yeah, that work to sort to, of regulate it yeah. or bring it back into where it needs to, to be. To an equilibrium. Yeah. A yeah. homeostasis. Hmm. And so his observation was the Earth acts very much like this. Yes, very now, much so. This has sort of been taken since then into a lot of sort of new age yeah. sort of ideas where the Earth is a literally a living organism and that's sort of ascribed to him. As far as what I had researched, it doesn't I, I'm not sure whether or not he claimed the Earth is a living thing. Right. <laughs> Um, and maybe he With made it sound more, yeah. And a glowing river. Yeah, maybe he made it sound it. more like that in his earlier career and then maybe later okay. in his career. He's like, no, that's not exactly what I'm saying or walked it back. I don't know. I didn't study his entire career. Okay. But it, it seems to me that he was just saying it's similar, not that it is a living thing. Sure. Um, but also, what is what is a living thing? Yes. Right? Yes. So depending on how you're defining it... Um, you could say that the earth is absolutely living. But the trouble is, if you, de if you define things too broadly, you lose the utility of the definition, right? right. If, if the rocks on the ground are allowed to be considered alive, then the word alive it maybe isn't such a useful concept. <laughs> so in order to maintain maximum utility, you have to kind of pare back and create these boundaries around, well, living things have to be this and can't be that, have to be this and can't be that. Otherwise, everything's alive, right. um, which is fine. But then you the word alive just becomes the word for just everything because if right. everything's alive, then nothing's not alive. Then the word alive loses its its meaning. So right. um, some of it's semantic, but another part, like I remember when uh, Pluto got downgraded to from being a planet yeah. to being what is it, a planetesimal or something? <laughs> it's it's and and it's these it's these random arbitrary distinction lines sure. that are like the scientists yeah. are like oh a planet has to be this and search to search and it's like okay but you're just you just made that up yeah. and enough people agree on that which is fine uh, but as it relates to to the Gaia hypothesis um, the idea of what's alive or not I know there's debates about whether viruses are technically alive yeah yep. you know, there's these certain criteria and not everything always fits into it but in order to maintain the maximum utility of the word. Um, you do have to create some rules, even if they yeah. aren't always perfectly consistent. Yeah. And generally speaking, the Earth is not considered alive. Um, but if you look at, maybe if you were able to see a time lapse of the Earth, like a three-minute time lapse over the whole course of the entire life of the Earth, you know, you would see something that looks maybe more alive than you would think otherwise. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. And maybe even with the sun as well, with all yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Like everything in the universe is kind of in flux and in these different states, right? What we consider solid is only because temporarily at the moment is it, it that's what it is. But like if you, uh, this is something I always thought about as a kid. Water making waves on the ocean is basically the same process by which mountains are made. Oh, sure. Right? Because the things like a little bit of friction and things kind of get forced up and in the middle and and then the, the planets kind of like move and it, it becomes weighty at the bottom. Um but it's just a really slow-moving wave. A mountain is a very slow-moving wave. Yeah. And that's weird to think about. <laughs> but the, the same principles basically apply. The only difference mm -hmm. is time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like you're saying, I mean, it's not like the scientific community has ever had this sort of like completely um, universally accepted definition of life anyways. Yeah. Um, the, all, all that they've really done is list like a giant sort of, uh, set of attributes of, of what life is, but like, right. there's been no consensus about like, okay, how do we actually concretely define what life is? There's so too there's many a lot of arguments about, yeah, yeah. okay, is a virus alive or not? Right. So those who would argue against this idea of the earth being alive might say, well, the earth doesn't eat. It doesn't, you know, right. it doesn't reproduce. It doesn't procreate. And it doesn't evolve. 
So therefore, it can't be a living thing. Right. But like other people say, well, define eat, define procreate, yes, and define evolve. Exactly. Because <laughs> there's a way in which it kind of does all of those. In fact, the yes. way the Earth was likely formed was just rocks kind of coalescing, and you could say sure. that's eating. Sure. Right. It's just like gravity is just pulling these rocks. Every right. time an, a meteor hits the Earth, the Earth is eating. It's gaining in mass. Yeah, sure, right. Sure. But you got to be pretty loose with your definitions. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Or or even if human beings at some point in the future end up, uh, you know space travel becomes possible, like they yeah. go and colonize another planet, how, how some people might def define that as procreation or right. something like that. Or like, like a even, even meteors yeah, themselves yeah. Anything that might that have comes bacteria off. on it. It's excretion. Goes into... <laughs> That's it. The comes goes into another, like, combines onto another planet. How, right. how, you know, that's not totally dissimilar to, say, uh, a bee taking pollen from one flower to right. another or something like right, that. Right, right, exactly. And we consider that procreation. So anyways, yeah. we could sit here and, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in debating that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm basically just putting out there that this, these are things that I found were interesting to talk yeah, about. Yeah. And how this pertains to Final Fantasy in particular was that in the early 90s, um, Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of the series, mm. his mother passed away. Right. And he really... Her name was Aki, by the way. Yeah. Think, yeah. Well, yes, I think. Something like that. Um, well, well, there was another... I, I get a little confused because there I are some the... references in the film that were actually his wife's birthday and things like that. But oh, okay. I, don't, I had heard I don't that she that. was named after his wife, but... So he was really, really struggling with that loss. It, it really made him do a lot of introspection at the time. And so I'm assuming... I mean, yeah, uh, his, I've never heard his mother. His was mother named, was named Aki. Named Aki. Okay. Yeah. So, Which means yeah. fall or autumn in Japanese. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, there's obvious ties here in this film and also in Final Fantasy VII yeah. to a lot of the introspection that Hironobu Sakaguchi was doing in, in direct, directly because of that loss that he suffered. Yeah. And so he began to think a lot about life. What, what is life? What does it mean to me? What philosophies about life do I ascribe to? Um, do I believe in an afterlife? Is my mother right. still there? Will I see her? I'm sure he's thinking about all these things. Right. And I'm sure in his process of, uh, you know, grieving and, and thinking about a lot of this, he came across James Lovelock's Gaia hypothesis. Right. Obviously he did because he then kind of took point, the concept, yeah. but then really took it into the, yes, the earth is alive. And not yeah. only is it alive, it has a spirit. A single unified spirit. Yeah. 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 And this obviously became the concept of the life stream in Final Fantasy VII. So Sakaguchi's first draft of the story for Final Fantasy VII, as other people who have researched the series know, there were a lot of different things about it. There's a detective story, and maybe yeah, it was yeah. going to take place in New York New City. New York, which is Earth. Yes, and which, the movie takes yeah. place in New York City On for Earth. the most part. Yeah, so like obviously uh, there were a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of developers who wrote separate sections of Final Fantasy VII. So right. you got Tetsuya Nomura yeah. who, you know, kind of came in and it was real integral to changing a lot about the characters and yeah. different scenarios. And you've got Kitase over here. Yeah, Kitase you've got, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Anyway, the guy who was the actual, like, writer of the script. Right. Um, who, uh, Nojima, who has gone on no, to write no. a bunch of different Final Fantasy VII compilation stuff. So there were a lot of, Toriyama was involved in certain parts of it. So there's a lot of people mm. who sort of like collaborated on what ended up being Final Fantasy VII's story. Right. But a lot of its core, core thematic stuff being the examination of life, 
Right. Um, this idea of the planet having a spirit um, and all of that, which is really at the core of Final Fantasy VII's story, was Sakaguchi's brainchild coming from all this introspection he was doing. And it's literally the only thing connecting this movie to the Final Fantasy game series at all. <laughs> because outside of that, it, it's basically just kind of a bland science fiction movie right. that has this one tie, the Gaia hypothesis, and even it's a sort of a climactic moment taking place inside of a crater, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, in Final Fantasy VII where they fight Sephiroth and right. the life stream pours out of that. That's right. You have this whole very thing. Very similar. It's very, very similar yeah. visually and, and I guess just even in concept to Final Fantasy VII. Outside mm. of that, there's not really much there. And I wasn't yeah. clever enough as a kid to pick up on that. But it is actually, I feel like, the most interesting thing about the movie um, mm. when all is said and done. Um, I don't know how you felt about it watching it now or as a kid. Well, we, I didn't see it as a kid. I saw it the first oh, time really? maybe five years ago. I and did it not was know for, that. And it was for the channel podcast thing. I think we oh, watched yeah, it. We did. I think we live streamed it actually Something years like ago. That, yeah. And that was my first time watching it, and this is my second. <laughs> okay. So so what are your feelings on it? Uh, my feelings movie? are very similar. Um, you know, it, at the time, it probably looked a lot more impressive, um, the yes. CG. And so <laughs> I, I, I can't fault it too much for that. Um, I, I don't want to just be critical of the movie. Sure. Um, I don't either. Th there was a SIDS character. The voice actor, was that Donald Sutherland, I think? Uh, or, yeah, I think yeah, it was, yeah. Really good, and his character looked good, too. And I think yeah. it's in part, he had short hair, he was an old man <laughs> who they weren't trying to look uh, well, sexually appealing. Yeah, they they did say in some of like the commentary yeah. that they wish that he that he hadn't had a beard, because they had a lot the beard of is rendering issues okay. with those short hairs on the beard. But otherwise, I he was a that. much easier character to light. Yeah, than say yeah, yeah. Aki with all of her hair, and right? Because like then you can't have the backlight to reach her face. It's got to right. kind of come around front. Right. Um, also, there was that marketing thing they did with Aki in a bikini. I, yes. I feel like I feel like in some ways they really kind of undercut themselves with mm. the message of this movie, right? Yeah. With the way it was marketed, just calling it final. Like, see, Hironobu Sakaguchi had this cool idea for a movie about in which the Gaia hypothesis is somewhat explored, right? Yeah, right, and. Calling it Final Fantasy maybe wasn't the best choice because it's not. Maybe I don't think. Well, and that's but, true because the original story, which he wrote, mm, like the, in its original form, wasn't called Final Fantasy. It was just called Gaia. It was just a movie, right? Yeah, it was just called this Gaia. Movie should and... be called Gaia, not at, not Final <laughs> Fantasy. And in marketing the film, you know, trying to show all these cool new techniques and hey, well, let's let's create a character that and everything has to be hyper hyper realistic and um. The, the 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 kind of pains that they went through to make the movie what it is technically and mm. then also the way that it was marketed from the title all the way to the to the character in, in a swimsuit who is she's a scientist like why yeah. anyways i like they really un undercut their own messaging in the movie i think the, oh, the 100% the, how important the message is especially given the depth that he thought about this with his mother passing and the guy hypothesis based on some scientific stuff and he had this cool idea to propose uh, but then it was just kind of like 
thrown around is just this idea, this like this, uh, oh, it's a cool, t- you, you should watch it because this girl looks like a real person. That's why you should watch yes. this movie. You yes. should watch it because it's Final Fantasy. You should watch it because, oh, I think Aki's hot, even though she's, you know, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, you should watch this movie because of how sharp the people look and 60, the 60,000 strands of hair on Aki's head. And we hand animated each one, which isn't entirely true, but... Um, Anyways, all of these marketing things that they did really undercut what the movie was actually about, uh, which is this whole Gaia thing. And I think it, the movie would have been a lot better served without all of this baggage. I agree with you 100%. And there's actually a lot of stuff to talk about in that that I yeah. find fascinating. But my my major takeaway from watching the film again was for a movie that is at its heart about this Gaia hypothesis thing, yeah. they spend almost no time really focusing on that. The it's story true. is yeah, very plot-centered, and right. the plot is the weakest element of the film by far, Yeah, yeah. which is, I think, why it, it, it kind of struggles as far as, like, really landing with the audience. I mean, even Roger and, and Ebert, who both oh, yeah. loved the movie yeah, and they tried was, to promote it, yeah. they, did, they said they the, it the nice. plot is, like, whatever. Yeah. That's not why you're watching this. It's this beautiful <laughs> yeah. film right. visually. And, and they were so captivated by that aspect of it that they thought it was worth watching simply because of that. Mm. But I feel like, uh, well, one thing that's important to talk about with this is that the the film was co-produced by Columbia Pictures, which ah, is a that's Western that's right, film yeah. studio, or was at the time. I don't even know if they're still around anymore. They're probably not. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything Columbia TriStar in freaking 20 years at least. No, maybe not. But <laughs> they probably know. got, you know, uh, they probably got consumed by one of the, right. the one of the five major film production studios they got now, whether it's hold Warner on. Brothers hold on, hold or on. Disney or whatever. Kent, are you, are, did you just say that film production studios can eat? <laughs> Did the film production studios are, are they alive? alive? They evolve. They are depends on your definition. All right, they do evolve. They Good do evolve. I, they die. You, they you. they eat. They excrete. Full circle. <laughs> they do excrete a lot. That's for sure. <laughs> they ex- for uh, for sure, they excrete a lot. Oh, but um, no. Uh, so the Sakaguchi writes this original story, but the plan from the beginning was that this movie was going to be filmed in English from the start. Yeah, I say that's filmed, right. but I mean like. No animated as far as facial animation because this was yeah. before the time of facial capture I, so I think they did body capture but not facial they did they yeah. did motion capture for yeah body major movements. body movements but yeah. hands and yeah. face were all done keyframes right it was all keyframe animation for that yeah. so that, that's how long ago this was <laughs> this yeah. is before they figured out a good way to like capture faces so um anyway they, they were going to release the movie in English. So they were going to do all the animation for the English voice actors. They were going to yeah. write it in English first. Yep. So Sakaguchi paired with Columbia mm. uh, with that in mind, meaning they were going to have to hire some American writers to take the script, the original Japanese yep. story, and yep. you know translate it into a movie that's in English. Um, so that was kind of the plan from the beginning. However, I feel like though it's never outright stated anywhere and as, and as much of the behind the scenes stuff that I looked at, which is quite a lot and a lot of the interviews that I read, nowhere does it say, hey, Columbia came in and they kind of took this in a direction where they knew what they thought the American audience wanted to see from a science fiction movie like this and maybe adjusted the concept um, yeah. And marketed it in a way that that didn't really focus on 
uh, what the story was truly about. Mm -hmm. However, I feel like that's a process that happens no matter what the thing is. Yeah. There's very few, yeah, that's even auteur-type directors who have enough control yeah. to like walk up to a studio ahead and be like, no, you're not changing Don't this. Don't change it, yeah. It's, that's almost unheard of, even yeah. for like the most powerful yeah. directors. Yeah, unless we're maybe talking like Steven Spielberg, Spielberg and Spielberg or maybe Christopher Nolan seems like he's got that kind of control. But, but for a first-time movie director yeah. who is... This part of this Japanese film production studio. Yeah, I have. No, there's not as much pull there. Yeah, right. It's like, hey, you guys, we're Hollywood. We'll take care of this. Right. Yeah. So I feel like it's it's almost a you know foregone conclusion in my mind mm. that some of that got lost or yeah. or translated in a way or dumbed down for what they thought the American audience wanted to see. I mean, it just seems logical to me that that would be the case. I don't even think that's controversial. And the reason I say I don't think it's controversial is because Hironobu Sakaguchi himself has said he was proud of the final uh, yeah. you know, film and that given the, the yep. opportunity, he wouldn't change anything about it. Yeah. So, but there's, an, there's collaboration and compromise that has right. to happen um, just within the, the Japanese team developing the movie, much less this American film studio coming in yeah. who, who are purchasing the rights to distribute the thing. Right. And if where, they're putting the money, yeah. then, yeah. Then, of course, they're going to have some say in the final cut. They're going to yeah. have some say in we want to rewrite it this or that way or whatnot. And there's at least one scene I want to talk about that was rewritten that has some interesting differences. Okay. But what I'm trying to get at is I think a lot of this marketing stuff you were talking about, mm -hmm. like – um, Aki appearing in Maxim, which is where that bikini photo comes from. Of course. She was she was put into that magazine and considered yeah. like number eighty something on the list of one hundred hottest women of the year. Really? There's no way Maxim just of their own volition <laughs> yeah, came up with there, that. There was some money. There, there was there was <laughs> that there was, was marketing, definitely yeah, marketing money yeah. given to Maxim to put sure. her in there. Oh, of course. In fact, there's no way. I bet you all one hundred <laughs> people in there were. Uh, <laughs> We're paying for the degree. privilege. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, they knew this movie was way over budget. Yeah. And they needed desperately to get people to see the movie. And so there's probably a lot yeah. of um, appealing to the lowest common denominator in, of in a certain sense. We just need everyone to come see this movie. I don't yes. care who you are. I don't care what market you belong to. <laughs> We're going to put this movie in front of you yeah. in whatever way we can. To, and, to and get we'll, you yeah. to so that you know it's there and hopefully you go see it. And I think that's one of those things. And one of the funniest taglines, actually, this is only funny to us who have been covering Final Fantasy for a long time on this channel. The tagline fantasy based, based on reality no <laughs> was actually used in the marketing of this movie in the trailers. No way. It was, that might you have predated okay. anything else we've talked right. about with fantasy based on reality. That's crazy. That's wild. I thought that was uh, Nomura's uh, I thought so too. catchphrase, his own little thing. You know? Yeah. Okay. This brings in uh, a whole nother discussion, by the way. We're going to get to the movie at some point. But <laughs> we have to talk about this next part, which is the way the Spirits Within influenced other media around it, right? Yeah. You talk about oh, how totally. when you tell me that it was based, that it was supposed to be a fantasy based in reality, and then Nomura comes out 10 years later, and he's like, hey, guys, guess what? I have this cool new idea about a fantasy based in reality. <laughs> I think he got that from this uh, movie 100%. or from the ideas of this movie 100%. or from Sakaguchi. Yeah. Here's the other one. I can't help but call these spirit ghost plasmoid beings... 
Gnosis. I was you I was thinking it. exactly the same thing. <laughs> See, I was like, dude, there's so much here from yes, Xeno Saga. Unbelievable. There's no way that Takahashi, who knew Saka, he worked at Square. They were together. There's no yes. way that he wasn't influenced by spirits with Guaranteed. There's no and, way. And the way they face through the walls, the way they sort of solidify, but then yes. become transparent, and then the way they can kill people. I was people thinking and that the whole time. Straight and up. I had never thought that on previous uh, really? viewings of the movie because uh, I hadn't played Xenosaga that's yet. That's it. That's we it. just played that for the first time last year. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this, this is freaking, this is the Gnosis. Yeah. This is straight up Xenosaga. You this know what's crazy? That tells me, that tells me a lot. That First off, that's Tetsuya Takashi and Tetsuya Nomura, right yes. there. Both of them <laughs> who were handpicked by Sakaguchi to like rise up through the ranks. Very heavily influenced by him. Um, these people, I think they respected him a lot. And I think they had private conversations with him where they 100%. were able to catch, they were able to catch what Sakaguchi was going for better than maybe we can just sure. watching this movie. Absolutely. Right. Where it was like, Oh, I'm sure that they were just like, Oh my gosh, that's such a cool concept. Oh, you got to make that into a movie. Yep. And then he does. And it doesn't quite come across in the movie, but they knew him personally yes. and they put it into their stuff. Yes. Right. And that's th that, that kind of shows you a little bit of the reach of this film. Cause you would think it's a one off it bombed. People just forgot about it. Yeah. Not the case. Yeah. I don't think people, especially, Especially a lot of the people in Japan and people who knew Sakaguchi, maybe even knew his mother, or maybe even knew his situation. Maybe even he had, you know, got philosophized with them, or they had spent late nights together talking about stuff, you know. Yeah. And like it affected those people, yeah. uh, I think, a lot more heavily than maybe it did the Hollywood Maxim viewer people who sure. like went to go see it and were like, "What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the the creators of Mass Effect yeah. have also directly ah, stated, "I heard this. That I heard Spirits this. Within That's was right. an influence for their." film and That's i think right. you can see some of that in say neil like the wisecracking pilot guy and oh, yes. joker oh, the character from you know mass effect or <sighs> let's say uh I, I think it's hackett from mass effect which was largely inspired by hein from this movie mm. the, the villain of this movie right right, right. so like the, the, it definitely had a large influence, even yes. though m many people might not know what those references are. Right, exactly. But you had a really interesting insight as we were walking in to record the podcast today yep. about what Sakaguchi said to Tetsuya Nomura about writing stories for Kingdom That's Hearts. That's right. So when Kingdom Hearts was first proposed, um, uh, Sakaguchi put Nomura on it and said, hey, let's give him this project. I think he's ready, right? And yeah. then Nomura kind of put together his pitch for it. Like, all right, here's what it is. I'm going to direct it. And it's going to be Disney players and FF. But like, it's going to be really toned down for kids. And it'll just be a little thing where it's not going to sell much. No big deal, right? Let's, Simple story. Let's one and done. Let's yeah. just do this collab with Disney and, and be done with it. And Sakaguchi said, no one's going to play that unless you add some depth to it yeah. right and that's where Tetsuya Nomura kind of went back to the drawing board and was like okay well Ansem and all the poetry and all of the different worlds and how are they all connected and all of this stuff came from Sakaguchi's advice yeah. telling him hey um Make no one complex. no one will buy this game unless it's deep yeah and when I hear that I'm like that's interesting coming from Sakaguchi because in a lot of ways this movie is not it's that it's, deep. It's way more simple than very simple. A lot of uh, that than what merits as much conversation yes. as we're having now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the movie is not that serious or that deep. It's not. It in really is in its sort of execution. In its execution. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, Sakaguchi 
was of the opinion that it's got to be deep. Even for the American audiences, you've got to really convince people in the reality of your world. You've got to have some depth there. People, If people can find the bottom quickly, then it's not worth them exploring much. They need yeah. a, something that they can't find the bottom of, that it just keeps going. Um, and But Sakaguchi, and I don't know why he wasn't able to do this in his own work, or you brought up the possibility that maybe it was after this movie came out that he then was like, okay, hey, Nomura, come here. Um, you got to have some depth. <laughs> yeah. Nobody watched my movie and uh, you probably should make it deep if people right. are going to watch your stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, of course, that's speculation on our part, it but totally it, it is, makes totally sense. Is. It could be. Given that. the fact that that would have been right on the back of the failure of this movie. Right. I'm sure Sakaguchi yeah. is seeing some of the criticism of it in terms of its simplicity of its plot mm. or it's, it's, you know, it's not very deep or complex or interesting, th you know, thematically, right. but he had done all of this real deep introspection yeah in his mind it was very deep yeah and yeah. and yet that didn't come across right in the final film whereas it did in final fantasy 7 which is a much more complex plot oh yes. than spirits within does yeah and spirits within was the sort of result of this collaboration with this western movie studio who's trying to i believe again speculation but this is my theory dumb it down yeah for the for casual audience the yeah. casual audience and that's funny because once you get to the point what you were saying why why they were um really marketing this movie like crazy going all out saying we want everyone in the world to watch this movie in order to appeal to the least common denominator where you're like we just need everyone to watch this we Lots don't want that then you you really lose a lot of the depth there right yeah. because you're like oh we got to appeal to everyone and when you appeal to everyone like if you go to a um a, a work party right and it's like, oh, they're going to get a huge tub of ice cream. And if it's just one person, it's like, dude, I'm going to get Rocky Road or whatever oh, I yeah. like. But if soon as there's crazy. two people, it's three people. Okay, okay now you got to buy ice cream for 30 people. Every, everyone's getting vanilla. That's <laughs> what everyone's getting. No one's going to get what they actually want. Everyone's going to yeah. get some bland version that's like better than nothing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what happens to movies as well when they're mass marketed to this for this broad, broad, broad appeal. Some movies end up getting that on their own and they merit it. Yeah. But movies that try to get it tend to just water themselves down. For sure. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it really did not work. But I think that that also could have been part of the whole thing. Uh, at least part of we need everyone to watch this was stop being yeah. so deep, dude. Yeah. And I, and I think even again, a lot of that, it probably comes down to the film was way over budget. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they had to, they ran into a lot of, I problems. think it was like double. I think the yeah. they doubled their budget. They ran into a lot of problems because yeah. again, this is the first time something like this had ever been made. Right. They, they, they a lot of the animators, I mean, Final Fantasy seven was the first time most of these devs had ever tried making something <laughs> in 3d before. So they were very much getting used to it. Yeah, I remember yeah. I, I read a, an, a an interview where Sakaguchi talks about like in the early 90s, he was going to some conference in LA mm. to research 3D graphics and and where game development was going because right. they were developing um, probably Final Fantasy V at the time. Okay, Maybe they were getting into six. And he was like, yeah, we're going to get left in the dust if we don't know how to make games in 3D really quickly. Right. So he took it upon himself and that's where he became an executive uh, you know, producer or a producer role on the Final Fantasy series, not a director anymore. Because he was now focused on, I've got to get this whole company prepared yeah. in, as far as 3D graphics goes, to yeah. be able to like remain viable as a developer in this industry. Right. So that's mm. where he met um, you know, the Dragon Quest developers and, right, and came yeah. up with Chrono Trigger, and they did their collaboration. They were on a plane on the way no to way. a conference in LA to oh, learn more cool. about 3D graphics. Nice, and interesting. So he took it upon himself huh 
to learn all about that and right. buy all of this equipment. They had a massive render mm. farm for this movie. Really? That, oh, that's right. Yeah. I heard. I heard. Yeah. And and the average render time for a single frame on this film was 90 hours or something like 90 that. 90 hours, yeah, per now, frame. Of course, that's going to be yep. some frames take... I don't know, 20 minutes and some frames take five hours like six or days. whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, uh, or sorry, not five hours, like five days is what I meant to yeah. say. Yeah, some took days, some not. But the average, when you average all that, each frame of the movie, over 1,400 frames, something like that. <laughs> yeah. 90 hours. I mean, and, and they redid so many things. I, I'm going through some of the commentary from some of the animators and and the compositors and things like that on the film, mm -hmm. and they're talking about, oh, man, this is way different. Wait, is this the version that's in the final movie? I think we actually redid this, because the version oh, no. they're probably watching for the commentary <laughs> was not, yeah. like, the actual final version. Or saying, wait a minute, I thought we changed this at this point. Yeah. Is this is this really it? Like, they, they redid even the opening, where Aki, like, stands up out of, like, the chair she's in and sort of floats toward the window. Uh, they redid right. that yeah, a bunch yeah. of times, and you can see some of the earlier versions and how yeah. much different it looked and how much better it got over time. Oh, wow. They were really learning huh. 3D animation and this level of rendering and uh, even some of their, um, like, projects. They had something called Project Gray, which was all about just showing what they could possibly do. So it was just... Um, uh, like a, a little girl and a character who is, I think, meant to be Aki, just arguing. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's one of an interesting thing that was a story change. There were a lot more characters in this movie. There was the little girl that basically got reduced just to yeah. the, the scene where she talks about the girl that dies in the hospital. That's right. When yeah. she's in the elevator with, yep. with Gray. That was supposed to be like a major character that was featured really? in the film. Uh, there was another boy named Daniel who was supposed to be like a major character in the film. There uh, were all sorts of other characters. There's huh. there's um there there's a shot kind of towards the end of this sort of like previs uh, sort of demonstration for what they they were thinking they could do, where it shows like a soldier coming out of some rubble who has like a mask on his face. It was oh, like yeah. a totally different character that's huh. not in the movie. And then and you see all this and you start to put together. There was a lot of stuff that was different yeah. Yeah. in Sakaguchi's original draft mm. for this story than what ended up in the movie. And mm. that, again, that's not that weird. I mean, that's true right. of that's... Final Fantasy VII itself. Sure, yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> so that, tons that's of media. what happens yeah. from beginning to end yeah. of a project of this size. Right. But it's just to say that there, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good evidence to to suggest that this movie was dumbed down at least a little yeah. bit mm. for American audiences. A lot of characters were taken out, simplified, streamlined for what the Columbia Pictures studio thought would be their audience yeah. for the American audience. Mm. And so um, I think a lot of, a lot of the Gaia stuff was probably yeah. reduced a little bit and more yeah. focused on this plot of this war against this alien race. Right. And that's to me, which turns out ended to up not, being kind of the weakest yeah. part of the movie. Yes, exactly. They, they turns emphasized out to not be the weakest part of it. Yeah, and because he people like the people like to see fighting and action, and that that's why. But yeah. when you're doing a movie like this for the first time ever, um, it's it's tough to want to jump into fast paced moving action type of stuff. You yeah. might want to do something else first. Yeah, exactly. You know what's funny? We talked a lot about the development of this game, but mm. the more we talk, the more I think this is actually the most interesting part about the movie. I, I agree. Is this the movie's not that interesting <laughs> not to talk so much about? The movie itself. It, it's it's all the stuff behind it that's interesting yeah. to talk about, and it's kind of core concept. 
Yeah. Um, the car, the concept is very interesting, but, but there are some, there are some interesting tidbits in the movie itself that I do want to hit on. Yeah. And I want to get into some of your notes too. So maybe we should, well, cause I segue into that unless you have that something sounds else. Good. No, I just have a little more on the dev history stuff. Um, that the guy who wrote this, um, Al Reinert, he yeah. was actually born in Japan. Oh, wow. In 1947. Oh, wow. Which means occupation. Yeah. troops. Anyways. Yeah. So that's him. He's wow. a totally American. That's super crazy. not Japanese. I didn't um, know that. I think, I think, by the way. I didn't I couldn't find any pictures. Oh, but maybe it he's seems like as Japanese though American or, mixed or if something. somebody named Al Reinert was born in Japan in nineteen forty seven. I have one guess. Okay. So anywho, um he, but he wrote Apollo thirteen. Oh, did he really? Yes. And not oh. only that, he wrote this NASA documentary from like 1989, 90 or so that kind of chronicled the moon landing. And he it's very technical. It's a very detailed documentary mm. all oh. about the inner workings of NASA and how technically they were able to make it to the moon. And he directed that documentary. Now, that is um, in order to do something like that. Well, I guess all I really want to say about that is that he has a lot of technical knowledge about scientific things and about how um how things work in terms of sciencey stuff, right? Yeah. Now, Apollo 13 is a great movie, by the way. Very suspenseful. Very suspenseful. Um, and then the other writer, there's another writer who's credited here. His name's Jeff Vintar, and he yep. wrote I, Robot. Oh, wow. Yeah, which the, the Will the, Smith The film, uh, yeah. obviously the original Not the novel <laughs> is Isaac Asimov. Isaac but, Asimov, yeah. yeah. Uh, he wrote the Will Smith um, I, Robot. Yeah. I did not murder him, that one, which <laughs> yeah, right. also Uncanny Valley stuff there, too. But um, anyways, those are the guys who wrote this film. Now, yeah. just based on that alone, I'd say I, I'm not going to assume that this I, I can't tell you no. why this movie ended up not being I don't great. think they're bad writers right no yeah. um and then um but oh, sakaguchi wrote the original script right mm. and then elliot goldenthal did the music that guy's a beast now apparently there was some mini inner controversy about not picking uematsu, uematsu yep. um but sakaguchi chose elliot goldenthal and at first i was like man why do you slide uematsu like that yeah right you should look into this guy oh, elliot yeah. goldenthal is the real deal he's great the music was wonderful it, it might be the good. best part of the movie yeah the soundtrack and, is and beautiful just to comment on that real quick um it was actually critically praised as well the the soundtrack uh, yeah. a, a lot of people suspect the only reason it wasn't nominated for an oscar is because of how it didn't do well. bad it was at the yeah. box office right and how maybe lackluster some of the other elements of the film mm. are um i don't know why it wouldn't have been nominated for something like visual effects but once again nominations for the oscars is in part a like <laughs> exactly a bribery what scheme. we were talking about <laughs> earlier with marketing thing. marketing <laughs> money and then it goes in and then there's a little bit of kind of pushing and some yeah, prodding sure. and some some favors uh with oscar stuff yeah. and it seems to me like after this movie didn't do well uh that they were like we're not <laughs> we don't have money yeah. we don't have money to bribe the oscars <laughs> yeah and, and so to say that the the film's score is great is uh, i think kind of universally accepted uh, my, the only thing i i really would add to that mm. is that my thoughts about the score for this film are very similar to other Final Fantasy games that have been scored by people other than Uematsu. Uh, I really, yeah. really love Sakimoto's work. Okay, I think yeah. he's a great composer. I love um, Hamauzu's work, Final mm. Fantasy XIII composer. I oh, think, yeah, I think he's great. I, I've yeah. loved his work and other things. It's just that there's a certain identity that comes from Uematsu's contribution to Final Fantasy yeah. that you lose a little bit. Yeah. Now, whether that's a good or bad thing, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying there's a, a real melodic sort of um, I, uh, thumbprint or, or DNA that is Uematsu's contribution to this series. 
that nobody else is going to have the same thumbprint. So mm. if somebody else comes and puts their thumbprint on it, yeah. it's going to feel different right. than his. So the the choice to use Elliot um, Golden Goldenthal, Goldenthal. Uh, yes, Goldenthal. was was one that was made probably for considerations, Columbia Pictures and all this marketing sure, and this sure. and that and this. Yeah, and he's yeah. worked in Hollywood and on movies before and you've not and all yeah, these other considerations. Yeah. But what you lose is that what I think is almost the most important piece of Final Fantasy DNA, yeah. it's like which is blue. what comes from the yeah. music. Yeah. Music for me is like the number one thing as far as identifying what is the spirit of a work. Hmm. Is right. What is its musical identity? You know what's funny? That's almost what music is in general. Yes. It's almost just a spiritual experience, right? Yes. Music is just, it just conveys a spirit uh, to a, a raw like emotional and intelligence and all kinds of things that are lurking in the background. Uh, but it's able to kind of convey them in a more direct way than we can with any yeah, other means. For sure. Right. And so had Uematsu mm. scored this movie, it may have alone felt, felt more, more like yeah. Final Fantasy than it does. Right. Yeah. It, the way it feels mm. now is a, a pretty strong, but typical for the time Hollywood blockbuster score. Right. It doesn't sound that much different um, in terms of its sort of musical identity than from other contemporary Hollywood blockbuster films at the time. Yeah. Though it's strong, it's good. It's, sure. You listen to it. I, I especially love um, the vocal theme at the end of the movie. I think it's oh, really yeah. good. Um, so there's some really strong What about that music rock song in, in the credits? <laughs> that was fun. That yeah. came out of nowhere to me. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, because I think, yeah, there there was some controversy behind. Okay, who are we going to pick? There was, yeah. Uh, I think that band is is a Japanese rock yes, band. Yes, it's a Japanese like rock band. I think they're still around. So anyway, there were a bunch of considerations for who was yeah. going to do the music, and they went with this. And I don't think it was a bad choice. I think the music is good, but it would have felt more like Final Fantasy had Uematsu done. I think so. I think there's no, there's nothing in that statement that would no. be controversial as well. <laughs> <laughs> So it, if we can get into the substance of the movie sure. just a little bit Let's here. Do it. Um, the opening scene, I love opening scenes um, because they usually announce the creation of the world. Foreshadowing. Right? Yeah, they foreshadow, they kind symbolism. of, they consolidate, they uh, compress the whole movie into, you know, a small um, moment, a scene. And this movie does do that. It does. Mm -hmm. But... Um, it doesn't do it as well as I would have hoped, at least even after watching the movie. It's kind of unclear as to everything that's happening there. Um, but at the very least, you do get the camera coming out of out of the ground itself, mm -hmm. right? As if we're here in the darkness, we don't see anything. You see the, like, Sony pictures. No, not Sony. That's Avent Children. Who was it? Um, square oh, pictures. Square, yeah, square pictures. pictures. Square yeah, yeah. pictures. You yeah. see all the titles and all that. Or stuff. square productions. But, but the camera kind of comes up out of the earth, right? Right. And that's important, at least symbolically, uh, because when when things kind of come out of a dark space, especially out of the earth, um, once again, talking about just the guy hypothesis in general, not the actual guy hypothesis, uh, Sakaguchi's um, take Spin on the guy hypothesis yeah. is that the earth is alive. Um, yes. This is a birth of sorts that we are kind of being born out of the earth as these observers who are going to now watch what kind of unfolds. Now, as it happens later on, and this is what kind of threw my symbolic analysis off a little bit, that's not earth. That's mm -hmm. a different planet, right? But it still works because that planet had its own spirit. And we're kind of we're kind of watching this as detached third-party observers, right? right? And so we're kind of born on this alien planet into this dream that this woman's having, right? And it's unclear exactly what's going on, obviously. It's intentional. 
Um, but at the very least, at the very end of the movie, you do have a little bit of a bookend where the camera kind of also is it. I, yeah. I thought the camera yeah. would go in to the earth. Mm -hmm. It didn't. It came back out of the earth again. So it was yes. kind of the same thing twice. They mentioned but, this in the commentary that oh, they really? meant for okay. that to be a book. Okay. Well, I picked up yeah. on that. It kind of, it shows, but it's a new world now. So before yeah. when the camera comes up, you see this desolate, barren wasteland basically. Yeah. But then when the, when the camera kind of is reborn anew out of the earth again, at the very end of the film, it comes up and then we as the audience behold this green earth this more beautiful lush place yeah. with like uh one eagle at least one bird flying in it yeah. uh, anyways we might see more birds later on um but it seems like things have been renewed right so you get this death like you're born into death at the beginning mm -hmm. but then when you're reborn into life at the end after death right so if you're going to look at the movie as like birth then leading to death um the way that sakaguchi would be saying it is that when you're first born you, you're born into a world of death but when you die then you're born into the world of life uh, yeah. upon death. And mm -hmm. that's what, that's, I think what this whole movie is saying basically is right. that. that, and you that get that it. from just the camera movement yep. of, and then what, what you're seeing, at least the way the scene is presented um, in the very beginning at the very end. You could, and you could almost say cool. a, a dust to dust kind of sure. idea, yes. but, but your life consciousness coming from the earth and yeah. then going back to the earth and taking your knowledge, your experiences, and and yes. enriching and growing yes. the, the collective unconscious yes. knowledge of yes. the entire Earth's or, or the world's right. knowledge. Yeah. And and the idea that when you die, it is a new life. I mean, yes. this is, I mean, I don't know how many times we're going to reference Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> in this podcast, but it's, what is it like to die? Oh, white shores of fair green right. country under a swift sunrise and, and beyond, mm. you know? And that is... If you're going to characterize death as a rebirth into a new type of life, um, this was a decent enough way to do it. I thought yeah. it was pretty good yeah. because, and I was waiting for it. The camera even held on, was it Alec Baldwin? Who is it? Who's the guy? Who's the? Gray. Gray. Who is the Alec Baldwin okay. character? It even yeah. held on his face. And I was like, his eyes are going to open. His eyes are going to open and they don't. Yep. Because the whole point is that this is permanent. He's dead. He's gone. But he's been reborn and is now a part of this new beautiful world, right? Well, he's yeah. left the dreary, desolate world of death and war, and he's into this beautiful world of life and, and you know, thriving. Well, they, they definitely tied that eagle to that character. Yeah, they because did, Because the yeah. first time you see it is in the scene in the Tucson wasteland where they're going to try to find the seventh spirit. Yeah. And he That's right. That's looks right. up and sees the eagle or the yeah. hawk kind of flying around. Right. And then they, they do this cut at the end of the movie where the eagle is flying and they cut specifically to his face. Uh, I think the shot yes. you're thinking of is where you thought he was going to wake up. I thought he was going to wake up. Because they had, uh, they had framed Aki first. Yeah. Aki holding him there, but it was yes. framed on her right. looking at that eagle. Yep. Then they cut to the eagle. Then they cut to a frame on him. Yeah. Then they cut back to the back eagle to the again. Eagle as he flies away. It was yeah. sort of, a, they, they kind of tied yeah. them together yeah. in this way that you're talking about. The death and rebirth yeah. um, sort of concept of this Gaia hypothesis and this sort of homeostasis or balance that is retained yeah. and that all life really belongs to this one larger organism a larger thing right that when you're done with your individual experience and you die um that you go back to yes. right and that it's a beautiful thing and that it's almost like the eagle or hawk i actually don't know birds very well but that, <laughs> it, that it's almost like it's now it's carrying his spirit into yes. the the sunrise right. which is another thing that i had notes on that when the when we first see the first scene the sun is is just creeping over the horizon mm. and well I'm assuming so. I actually think it's probably a sunset now. This yeah. is always a thing. Is a sunrise or a sunset? Okay, but 
They filmmakers sunset love that stuff. On it's very that symbolic. Alien civilization. Yes, it for was sure. a sunset for them. Yeah, and it was a sunrise at the end of the film. And, but the, but, but the sunset is a sunrise. That's kind of what the whole movie is really uh, about. There you go. So, like, you tied them together. There you go. That Perfect. was the sunset on that alien civilization and on that planet. Yes. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of a birth in the sense that right. these, you know, that because that's what the whole Gaia hypothesis, that's according right. to Sakaguchi's spin, yes. is all about. A set is a rise. So it's kind You're of right. the both right. things. Yeah, I like that. So it's just a cycle, right? Yeah. But it's a cycle that isn't meaningless. It's a cycle that grows. It enriches each time. Yeah. Like you said, he now brings his experiences back to the spirit of the earth, right? right. And, and now the spirit is better off now than it was before, right. right? So it's not just a meaningless cycle. It's a cycle that seems to be, you know, moving or progressing and however you want to define that word. Yeah. And the fact that, <clears throat> so Aki has this pathogen, the, the, these yeah. phantom particles. Just in like her. the earth has the phantom thing that embedded in yes. earth and now it's right. infected. Yeah. Right. There's a one-to-one -one microcosm there. So while it was the death of that planet, which that yeah. red planet that they yeah. came from, which had probably its own Gaia spirit, right? Yeah, I think so. I um, think that's, yeah. It's it still, it, it, it procreated with yes. the earth yes. because in the end of this movie, though, there's this huge war and struggle where right. it seems like these civilizations can't coexist. In the end, there's like a synthesis. There's almost. a yeah. synthesis yeah. that happens where... Um, it's absorbed into this planet's yeah. Gaia, just like the pathogen, the particle was synthesized into Aki herself. So the DNA, right. so to speak, yeah. of that planet became synthesized with the DNA of this world. Right. And so it, it is a birth or, or, or a, a continuance yep. of the memories of the spirit of that planet into this one. They, they, right. they reproduced into something new yeah. by the end of it. And something, so. theoretically, something better. Yes. Right? That it's um, an evolution of sorts. Sure. But, yeah. An evolution. So the planet is alive. It consumes, <laughs> exactly. it procreates, yes. and it evolves. Yes. All three categories right. that people would argue this real planet does not, or are not aspects of it that right. describe it, describe both of these planets and these civilizations and all the life on them right. in this movie. It's a cool way of viewing the world. Like, I, I will admit, um, like, I... I can see a an argument path towards the earth having a spirit, right? Sure. At the very least, like I can I can tell what is part of the earth from what is not part of the earth. And based on that alone, it's like, well, the earth has a spirit, at least it has an identity, like mm. in, in the collect in the unconscious mind, you know. Um, but you know, it's hard for me to get past the typical, like more materialist way that I that everyone just yeah. seems to just see the world. You know, right. it's, it's you got to be a little bit of a hippie <laughs> to yeah, kind there's of follow Sakaguchi where he's a taking a new you. age mindset yes. that is required for you to accept. But I to can really, see it, right? To make the drama of this movie work. Yeah. Because it does feel weird in this more science fiction setting for scientists to be the ones embracing yeah. the Gaia hypothesis. Yes. And, and the, politicians the other are, people yeah. are the ones who are like... Uh, there's no evidence for this. Yeah. <laughs> it seems so like backwards almost. It does. In it that does, sense. Yeah. So it feels weird. Yeah. But this is where the fantasy part of mm. the movie, final fantasy, is coming into it. Is yeah. this the spirit of the earth is a real thing. And so it's not a science fiction movie. 
it's a fantasy movie right. that's based right. in a science fiction setting, and that kind of clashes that's at times. It maybe doesn't work as well, yeah. Right. And, and it's whereas, not that it can't work. It's no, just because it doesn't here. There are other Final Fantasy games that have that science that fiction thing. settings, but feel very yeah. much more fantasy. Final Fantasy VIII or thirteen or whatever. Yeah. They're definitely more futuristic, more science fiction, again, in setting. But yeah. they feel like fantasy stories. And this yeah. one, a lot of the times, feels more like a science fiction story as far yeah. as its plot goes. It does, it does. But it's got this fantasy element that's not seeming to fit. It almost seems as though the fantasy element is its own spirit that has infected <laughs> the science fiction plot that these writers <laughs> wanted to write. Yes. And Sakaguchi's like, no, but you got to throw this spirit, this foreign pathogen, yeah. this spirit. You've got to inject the spirit into this thing now. Yeah. But what, just like in the movie, how it's like, it just doesn't belong and the organism fights against it. That's kind of what, what the movie, what's yes. happening in the movie is yes. that this seems like it doesn't belong here. And it's fine that it's there and great. Uh, but it doesn't really belong, and it does ultimately kind of hurt the organism. Yeah. Um, they weren't able to synthesize the way that yeah. the movie, you know, maybe would have liked. Yeah. Um, Chagla Rob, uh, just real quick, is bringing up uh, some how some of these elements worked in Final Fantasy IX, which is very true. Yeah, you know, you have the the tree oh, yeah. that sort of well, filters the Wasn't the Earth souls. called Gaia in yeah, Nine as is, well? It is yeah. named Gaia in Final yeah. Fantasy IX, which was again and basically Sakaguchi directed was, by Sakaguchi. Yeah, yeah. He's called the producer on that. Yeah. But, he basically wrote that. He story oversaw too. a lot of it while he was directing this movie, which yeah, exactly. is just wild. I can't, yeah. man, I can't believe. He so Sakaguchi that. was very much into this whole Gaia uh, hypothesis concept, kind of for like three Final Fantasies that he worked on in a row. Yeah. So, or I guess they were the last three that he worked on in a row. But, yeah. Yeah. And I haven't thing. seen his work after this as much. I guess last story and whatnot. But yeah, they, um, they don't really. Have they don't. As much. Okay. Well, okay. Well. Debatable. We'll talk about Last Story in the future. Okay. okay you haven't okay. played that game. So I, I have not. I have not. We don't have to talk about it here. So the original opening of the movie is actually very different from what now is the opening I have not of the movie. seen the original. It's pretty It's pretty interesting. I yeah. actually really like it, but I, I know why they changed it. Mm. Um, because in the original opening monologue from, from uh, Aki, she basically knows everything in the film yeah. at the beginning. Do you and think this film is better served that way? Knowing I, I everything? don't know. Like on I'm, a second viewing, would it be? I am like super interested if it's at all possible. Mr. Sakaguchi, if you watch our stuff, <laughs> can you please send me the original script <laughs> of um, The Spirits Within? Because... Um, I would love to have seen, okay, where does the the conflict and drama of your original story come from? Because Aki was aware of everything she knows at the end of this movie mm. in the opening monologue of the original opening. Mm, that so she knows that these aliens are ghosts. Yeah. She knows that they came from a different planet and that her dreams are memories from their planet. You know what? She knew all of that in the opening monologue. Whereas mm. in this version of the movie, she's like slowly, that's the mystery yeah. that you have to unlock through seeing the whole dream sequence through. See, now, I didn't know it was a mystery at first because she said, I have the same dream every night when she woke up. I yeah. have this same dream every night. Yeah. And at first I take her at face value. I'm like, okay, she has this dream that we just saw. She has that dream. Every night, right? Yes. That's not true, though. She has the part of that dream every it, night. It advances And every night she night. gets more of the dream. But I didn't yeah. know that at first. So I'm yeah. thinking she has the same dream every night. And each time we see the dream again, I'm thinking, oh, they just didn't show this before. But this is the same the dream same that she dream, has every right. night. So I, I almost think that maybe that was worked into the script a little bit in a, maybe not the most natural way. That yeah. 
the idea of I have this dream every night was that you have the dream every night, but the way that they tried to convey it in, in the version of the movie that we end up getting is you slowly get a little more of the dream every night and you don't have the same dream every night. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it is not the same. Maybe it's repeating, but different you're getting things happen. a little further yeah, yeah, yeah. each time. It's like you didn't quite see the end of it. You get a little further next time, but a little how, further next how time. How different would this movie have been if she did know everything up front? Um, because yeah. I didn't know what to make of the dreams. They were a little too confusing, and I didn't know what was happening enough to really follow it. So if that yeah. was the mystery and we're learning little bits as we go, that wasn't working for me in yeah. this movie very well. And I think especially if you're looking for symbolism, like a lot of strong symbolism in that dream I was sequence, trying to. You're, you're not really going to find it. There's it's not much. It's pretty much on the nose. <laughs> it's just a sequence of events that reveal yeah. what happened in this final yes. battle and destruction of this planet. Yeah, That's really is, all there is to There is it. no symbolism necessarily per se, right? The, Aside like, from the sun setting, but we're kind yeah. of just deriving that on our own. That's not necessarily intentional, right? <laughs> yes, and basically every movie does that. <laughs> um, but but uh, it's literally just this is the materialist worldview point of what actually literally happened, right? Yes. And it's like, there's no, because at first I was like, oh, the Earth's opening up. This means something. Oh, this big, massive spaceship came out of it. Holy cow. That's like this concept. Oh, no, it's a nuke. Oh, it's, oh, this is all literally just happened. Oh, okay. she's walking Doesn't, on water. She's a Christ <laughs> yes, figure. Oh, she's no, no, <laughs> right, right, right. And then, and then, but it's like from the viewpoint from below always when yeah, she's on the, right. on the water. But then she like falls into the water. Speaking of um, how Kingdom Hearts was influenced by Spirits Within, I'm sure yeah. like the, the opening of the first Kingdom Hearts. Yes, where you where they're standing on yes, water right. and looking down. Yeah, that's that's straight totally. up Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it totally took it from this movie. But let, let me read real quick um, the opening monologue of the version we have versus the original okay. version of the opening. So Aki's dialogue in the final movie is every night the same dream the same strange planet. But why? What are they trying to tell me? It's right. been 34 years since they arrived on this planet and not a day passes that the survivors forced to live in barrier cities do not live in fear. I have vowed to end that fear. I believe my dreams hold the key. The question is, will I be in time to save the earth? Now that is a very... That's intriguing. That's a very succinct yeah. way. And I, I, I feel a by the numbers way yeah. Of getting the audience mm -hmm. up to speed on yeah, what's yeah. going on here. Yeah, yeah. The mystery is what is what are they trying to yep. tell me in these and, dreams? And once I crack the dream, that's the key to what's happening in the real. Right. Yeah. And oh, uh, we we got taken over by these aliens, and people live in barrier cities now. Right. And they're at war. Thirty-four years. That's all we need to know to get yeah. us caught up on what we need to know. It's it's it, it feels it's not bad per se, but it feels very Hollywood. Sure sort of like boilerplate type writing to very quickly just state the things you need to know audience yeah, to yeah. start the movie. Uh, and then of course we, we saw the dream sequence. They use that for their hook right at the beginning. Right. Some very vivid, in, interesting, um, almost surrealist kind of yeah. imagery. And very foreign. Like that's, that is an alien world right there. Yeah. To sort of like visually hook people. Yeah. And then they give you this little monologue and bam, here we go. This is what we need to know. Right. What do these dreams mean? How is this going to help us save the Earth? The end. The original movie mm -hmm. started with uh, some guys investigating this crater. So like an asteroid or, or whatever had just crashed. Yeah. And these guys were here. These three dudes in suits are here kind of investigating it. And that's, they're how, like, that's how Advent Children begins. Pretty much. <laughs> so they're at the crater and then it's Reno yeah. and the helicopter's getting yeah, out of the crater right. and they got a sample. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, speaking of other ties to Final Fantasy VII, of course, right, right, meteors and craters and whatever. Yeah. Um, but they're they're like investigating, and and one of them all of a sudden just like, whoa! Did you guys feel that? Like you don't see anything. Mm. Oh, oh, oh my gosh! And then this guy just falls over dead and dies. And there, you didn't see anything. It was totally yeah. invisible. And these other guys start screaming, and they all die. You and know, you have no idea what happened. They just randomly fell over, as far as you can see. Yeah. And I thought that was a really cool, yeah, kind of cold open. That would be cool. Um, I liked that. They allude to that. Um, I think it was I can't remember anyone's name actually, but the main bad guy, bad guy. Uh, Hein. Hein. um, He talks about that. He says, have you ever seen all of your loved ones just drop dead and you don't know why it's happening, right? Uh, They talk about it, but anytime we see the Gnosis kill somebody in (laughs) in this movie... You actually see them. You actually see them. Right. It's way creepier when you don't see them. I agree. Maybe that's a missed opportunity that they had planned, but that they ended up getting rid of. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, I could see that being a, a thing like, well, if we can't see the monsters, like, how do we... How do we show them fighting... You know, and, and they had you a really a later, really good but... solution to that with Aki shooting the flares, and that yeah, sort of yeah. would like briefly highlight yeah. them or show where they As are. As it stands, you see them before they ever attack anyone. Yeah, yeah. And you know, again, this was in the commentary. There's a certain energy wave that they could emit that would make yeah. them visible, which is kind of what she's shooting. And that's kind of right. what their barriers are made from. And okay. so when they cross the barriers, that's why they then were visible. Then they get inundated with this material, right? So that they don't explain this in the movie. But no, they that's don't. Because why. there's there's a real reason why she shoots the particles. <laughs> and it's not that. It to look awesome. It's because <laughs> particles look sweet, right? Like if you're doing CG stuff, if you're doing compositing, if you're doing rendering of any sort in terms of like After Effects or anything, right? If you add particles, to your scene, your scene looks cooler. Yeah. And they knew this back in 2000 as well as today. Uh, Michael Bay, everyone knows this, right? You yeah. put particles in your scene. So when she gets up and she shoots the flare up, I, and I didn't know what was going on at first, right? And the particles come down, and as she's walking, you just see this shower of light. I'm thinking that's that's why they did this. Yes. <laughs> then they came up with a reason for it later. But yeah, yeah um, it looks really cool. But let me get into her monologue. My dreams aren't dreams, is the first thing she says. Their memories and they aren't mine. So that is huge. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the reveal and that's of the movie. What that you is get later. the mystery of the movie. Yeah. So they turned that into the mystery of the film rather than she okay. just knows this from the start. And you know what? Put yourself in 1999. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't know whether or not this would work any better than having I don't be the either. mystery. That's why yeah. I said, Mr. Sakaguchi, please share your original script for me because right. I'm actually super confused about, okay, then what? What do you reveal in the movie if she already knows it at the beginning? Right. It's just just so, how it works, I guess. It's so interesting considering yeah. where it goes in right. this version. There must have been some other, there Something must have been else. another mystery. Yeah. yeah. So they're memories and they aren't mine. They're from a planet that I never walked on and wars whose cruelty I can't even conceive. Yet the phantoms of those wars are destroying the earth. Mm. Ghosts, bioetheric invaders with an all consuming spiritual hunger. When they first arrived, we were defenseless. How can we fight ghosts? Only when we discovered the existence of bioetheric energy, when we began to explore the spiritual spectrum of life, could we fight back. Then we developed weapons and built barrier shields around the remaining cities. We harnessed the energy of life itself so mankind could cling to life. Mm. So there are elements of this I really like. It does hook a little bit better into this idea of harnessing the energy of life itself. Right. And and kind of plugs that into the Gaia hypothesis a little Mm. more. But 
it reveals literally everything. Yeah. Like, what is there left to reveal in the movie this way? Right. So I see why they changed that, but I, it just it just leaves me so curious as to what the reveals of the original story were going to be because I I have no idea because hmm. that that's it. So she learns through the course of the movie, and that's the big reveal. They're sitting in the prison. They're not alive. They never invaded us. These are ghosts. Like right. they didn't know that before. Hmm. They thought they were fighting living things, and yeah. these are ghosts, and they didn't know and that. And even the to the very end of the film, they're still shooting them. Yes. And sometimes they do kill them. Because they're using the bioetheric energy in the weapons. Uh, and that was go. developed by Dr. Sid. Ah, cool. So he, he was the that. one who came up with the technology that protects them and makes them even okay. capable of fighting. But because even in the end of the movie, they keep saying your your bullets aren't doing anything. Yeah. And but okay. Gotcha. Because uh, well, Hein at least, when they were like he was using an actual gun with bullets. You okay. see him sort of like so, so they were actually shooting guns I see, and I see. it was doing nothing. Okay, I missed that. I didn't yeah. realize that. But okay. when they when they go out and they know they're gonna actually face real phantoms, they yeah. have different guns that use bioetheric bullets. Huh. So anyway, all of this stuff is like cool, interesting, conceptual, cool. and they don't freaking talk about it at all in the movie. <laughs> right. Which is again, yeah. I won't get on that too much. But yeah. like that that's the kind of the whole problem with it is they focus on the wrong things, I feel like. And uh, anyway, so yeah, that uh, that original opening was really interesting. It's pretty different, yeah. Um, and it makes me super curious about like where would this film had gone, yeah, before. And um, because in a lot of the stuff I was reading, they said that certain rewrites were done to make the film be more in line with Sakaguchi's original vision. So it makes hmm. me wonder if the first set of rewrites by the American dudes were taking it even further away uh, from his cent centerpiece of the guy hypothesis. Yeah. And then he was like, no, we really bring that back in. And so then maybe like the conversation between Aki and Dr. Sid about his journal and the Gaia mm. hypothesis, which he burns, you know, that right. whole scene. Yeah, maybe that was of, yeah. put back into it, you know, mm. to try to insert some more of that in there. Or maybe the ending, you know, was was refitted to be more like what we get in Final Fantasy VII's ending in the right. crater with the life stream coming out and all that stuff. Right. So maybe his original script was taken by them, rewritten. It was way too departed from it. And he tried to bring them back a little bit. And they had to compromise into what we get in this final product. That, that's my... Um, speculation on how it happened hmm. based on what is available, but there's not that much. Oh, unfortunately. That's very interesting. Yeah. So anyway. Um, well, oh, eight spirits. Yeah, eight spirits. By the way, if we're going to try to grasp at what symbolism does exist <laughs> in this movie, um, it's not that there's none. It's just that I was, I don't know, I, I, I was really hoping for more and maybe it's there and I just am not seeing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that could very well be the case, but eight is, uh, an interesting number, at least in, you know, in Asia, it's referring to something like the eight leaf Lotus, which is the flower that grows underwater and then blooms once it reaches the top of a, of like a pond or something. Right. And then the flower blooms and it's a Lotus. And then the number eight kind of represents the number, the eight leaf Lotus. Right. Um, and that is a symbol of rebirth and, and new life. Right. Because, mm -hmm. Well, something like that, because it buds underwater. It can't bloom. It's got to take a long, yeah, difficult right. journey we up talked about through this the in water. FF10 with exactly. her dance and in FF10, yeah. which was being developed around same the same time. time as this game. Um, that the lotus kind of boom and it blossoms and you have new life. And once they are able to discover the eighth spirit, they're able to kind of synthesize it into this new. Mm -hmm. um, well, gosh, what do they even do? Like, can you explain that to me? What? What is? Why? What did the eighth spirit do? 
Okay. Or all eight so spirits. They, in order to complete, they, this is what Dr. Sid talks about in the scene with the council. Mm. Um, when they're deciding, are they going to fire the Zeus cannon or, or are, are they going to hold off? Right. Yeah. So Gray and the other um, team, the de the Deep Eyes team or whatever they're called, yeah, that, yeah. that extract Aki from New York City. Yeah, Vink Rames. Um, when she guys. went and got the sixth spirit, because that's yeah. what she was there to do. She yep. found it. When they get back, um, they go to a council meeting afterwards. And right. Dr. Sid explains, we have been able to sort of... Um, diagram or I guess like create like this this digital image of like the wave pattern of the phantoms and we right. know that if we can oh you basically counter, counter that. that energy that's with right. an opposite that's energy was. that's right then we can essentially kill them okay. and we don't need to fire this Zeus cannon which would in his theory yeah. damage the spirit of the planet so we shouldn't fight. It may kill phantoms, but it'll also destroy our planet. Right. It'll kill, hurt, damage the oh, yeah. spirit of the planet and kill it. Which is not a great trade-off. <laughs> no, but nobody else believes that this, the planet has a spirit anyways. Yeah. So they, they're, they're trying to stop them from firing the Zeus cannon okay. by giving them this alternate, which is if I can find these last two remaining spirits out of the six, if we can get to eight, I mm -hmm. can create this wave pattern, which would counter just, that's right. theirs and, and would be a I more effective weapon where we wouldn't have to damage our own planet. There you go. By the way, Sakaguchi appears on the council in that scene. Oh, he's There's in a it? shot kind of looking down from the side as they're like looking back and forth after he, he says, yes, the spirit of the planet. And they're all like, oh, oh, the spirit of the planet. <laughs> and they're all, <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone in, the, everyone in the room's all like, oh, uh, this guy's crazy. You can see him. He's almost out of frame. And uh, then he turns and you see it's Sakaguchi. Uh, is he CG? At the, yeah, CG Sakaguchi no sitting at the end of the, oh, the council chamber. Uh, apparently, there's actually quite a few team members like in the kind of the oh, crowd really? there too, like other people who worked on the film. Nice. But he would be the only one, I think, for people watching that yeah. they would actually recognize Well, if you're going to do um, 3D modeling and you're creating a lot of people, um, it's very helpful to have a model to yeah. character to um, a model to model your character after. And yeah. it's probably super simple to just say, hey, Bob, down yeah. in IT. Hey, they did this a hey, lot. Hey, Rotoscoper, go in the studio. We're going to take some <laughs> pictures. We're going to create you, right? Yeah. And I doubt that they got to uh, receive well, any compensation for that. Especially because all the facial <gasps> animations were done with manual keyframing. Right. A lot of these animators, huh. the, the people commenting who, yeah. who know the team members, and know their faces, yeah. they would comment on how this character, Gray, between one scene and another, looked different because mm. they were referencing their own faces for facial animation. Oh, really? So he carries all ah. the mannerisms of this animator, and in this scene, he carries all the mannerisms of this animator. The so spirit, he actually the looks spirit, different. You oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> he actually looks, the character looks that's like so this guy because he was in a mirror, like... Or yeah. in a video or something, referencing yeah. his own face and then for his like animations. Him, so it ended it up looking else. like That's him. That's hilarious. Yeah. So uh, that was a really funny thing that they kind of <laughs> commented on. But um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, as far as plot goes, though, that's what the eight spirits were for. There, there's probably some confusion, too, mm -hmm. about how she ended up obtaining the eighth spirit at the end. Right? Because she's kind of just in that dream uh, sequence again. Oh, and yeah. the... Um, the phantom like tries to touch her and then all of a sudden she's oh, just like yeah. i have it the spirit found me they leave this almost very in that vague... same tone of voice by the way yes i have to say ming na wen is a good actress i think so too i don't 
know what happened in this movie. Um, she pretty monotone, very, very yeah. low energy, just very. I know I'm trying, she's, and then everyone's screaming around her, and she's just got this. And maybe that's how the character's supposed to be, but I, I don't think so. I think it, that it feels a little I blame bit the director. <laughs> well, yeah, it feels a little bit like they were trying to make her sound like a scientist. They okay. ended up actually cutting the character's hair for this reason too. She usually originally yes. had very long hair, yes. and they cut it because they thought that a was closer to the that. image of a female scientist. Yes. Which I mean, there's a whole plethora of issues that would come up in today's commentary about uh, that. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, they probably directed her on purpose to sound more low key um, for the purpose of trying to make her maybe seem more um, objective or not like super emotional, gotcha. maybe maybe more um, driven by logic and and observation and these okay. sorts of things. But that doesn't match her character that much. I don't think it does either. But it, I did yeah. get that feeling though, that they were yeah. like, oh, she's being calculated and-, and Yeah, uh, but, all um, the time. She kind of, she's basically being driven by her dreams. <laughs> so sure. That's not, right. that, I don't think that's accurate there. Um, but I, I felt that this way for a lot of the acting and Ming-Na Wen did say a little bit about this. She said that, uh, it was awkward for her to be in studio without anyone else and yeah. just recording her lines alone and that she's not used to that. That's a different kind of thing. Even even other animated movies will try to have them interact, right? But yeah. they they don't in this at all. Um and it kind of it kind of shows a little bit. Right. Um honestly, I think the the most uh the the best performance was by uh, Sutherland, Donald Sutherland. The, he was great. Yeah. Uh, Sid and his character looked great, and his everything just seemed to work for him. I don't know why. Yeah. It just didn't work for the other characters as well. Yeah. Certainly not Alec Baldwin. Well, I didn't like um, Steve, uh, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi as, he was the as funny dude, Neil, right? right? Yeah. That character was oh, I just, just said funny dude? He's not funny at all. He's not funny at There's all. Not, not one even joke a little that bit. lands. None not of it. one. None of it. Yeah. it, it was, I agree. Th those characters were really weak caricatures. Yeah. And yes, those were not real I, I don't, people. I don't, I uh, literally, I, I really mean it. I don't think one joke in the movie lands. Uh, not one joke was funny. Was there? I don't it think I laughed. Really? Yeah. Not one time. It, it was kind of lame and cringe every single time they tried. Yeah, and it that, was. It that, really was. That hurt. That's, pro that's probably the weakest. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, mo is there the, the biggest humor? criticism I have is they, they tried it and it just was, so, it fell so flat. Once again, they inserted a foreign pathogen into, it didn't fit, <laughs> it didn't synthesize, it didn't work. It just seems, it just breaks it. It just breaks the flow, yeah. you know, as things yeah. come. And it's like, ah, that should not have been inserted there. It's anyways. Um, yeah. Also, I, I laughed. I did laugh. I did laugh once. They called it the Tucson Wasteland. Yes. And I'm thinking... Tucson's already a wasteland. You know, you don't need to call it that. <laughs> we we lived in Phoenix we or lived Mesa, in Phoenix. but uh, yeah, yeah. I've been to Tucson several times. Many times. It's, it's basically just a freaking. It's it, a barren it's, wasteland. It's riddled with wasteland. flame and fire and ash. <laughs> it totally is. The very air you breathe. It, it's not. It's not the ideal place anyone would pick to live. No, and even so in the funny. desert. I mean, like Phoenix is nice. But Tucson is 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 kind of a dump. It, but it's it's just it's just a it's just a barren wasteland. Yeah. And and it's funny that they renamed it. Like it, it I think they should have gone with something else. Like uh, maybe like uh, oh Portland, oh the Portland wasteland, or something yeah. that's not already a wasteland. Right? Would would have I think it would have uh, you know worked yeah. a little bit better. Right. I did laugh at that part. So the movie was not without its uh its its smiles. Sure. It's it's good <laughs> moments. It's lighthearted moments. Yeah, but uh, going back to how she obtained the Eighth Spirit, I think this was confusing for a lot of people because they they say, hey, the Eighth Spirit is there in mm -hmm. the crater, right? We we It's a perfect match. We got it. And then they fire the Zeus cannon. Hein fires the Zeus yeah. cannon. 
and destroys it. And it's like, oh no, the eighth spirit is destroyed. That's and right, so they're yeah. like, wait a minute, you know, um, she she's she realizes she had it with her the whole time. That is so um, Hollywood. Yes. The real eighth spirit is the friends that you made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the heart, the lion. The lion had courage the whole time. He didn't need the Wizard yes. of Oz to there help you go. him. There you go. Okay. But here's here's where you can get a more concrete answer. Yeah. When the phantom is approaching her, it's not until the phantom touches her womb. That I was I, it's I was wondering activated about that. and he starts getting that blue energy. That was very interesting. And she says something about the the something like from the hope of new life, mm. right? Yeah, is sort of like uh, Gaia rejuvenated. I can't remember. The, the, I'm butchering the quote. Gotcha. But something like that. She talks about it being a new life. Huh. It's the fact that she's pregnant. The eighth spirit is the child she's carrying. Wait, how come I didn't get that at all? <laughs> she was pregnant? Yes. They don't say it. She said the hope of new life, but I didn't yes. think and because I should have got the, that. The phantom touches her womb, and that's where the eighth oh, spirit is. Oh, because her and Greg got back together for yes. like one time. Well, that, that was funny. In, in the commentary. They didn't, though. In the commentary. Didn't they not get back together? In the commentary. <laughs> one of the... One of the animators or whatever says oh yeah because we had that scene where they kiss in space and that's where it happens he's like no 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 that's not that's like the day before that's not nearly long enough right this was from their relationship or who knows if it was months i don't know how many months okay one month i don't know what time span it seemed like they was. had it not seemed like known it had been a time. while yeah but, but i think it, they it, uh, mentioned a month or two yeah it seems like it maybe was leaning more towards one and a half or two months maximum that she had sort of left him Right. So it wasn't that, but it, it seemed more like a year or something like that. He was uh -huh. real bitter about it. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Wh why did you just like walk out? Why couldn't you have told me any of this stuff? Right. It's because right. she had been infected and she yeah. knew she was going to die. And so she kind of just left without saying goodbye. Right. But this was only kind of recently. So it was huh. from before that, that she sense. had been pregnant and hadn't been far off along enough to know yet. Huh. And that can be true for some women for like a month or maybe two. Sure. Yeah, you can buy like it for that. a little bit. Yeah. So anyway. And especially yeah. if she's really busy and distracted. Yes. And is not really paying attention to how right. many days have passed, right? Right. Um, but all well, and if she doesn't really have much morning sickness, which it appears she got lucky because some <laughs> women don't have it as bad as others. Yeah. Um but yeah, well, that's fascinating. So I didn't get that. I feel like maybe they should have hammered that home a little better. Um, because when Gray kind of just gives up the ghost and he's gone. Yeah. Um, the idea was, oh, he went back into the live stream and whatnot. And that's yeah. that's just a, a cooler thing. Death is a cooler thing than it sounds, right? Yeah. And that's all that I really took from that. But if you're telling me now that he has a child and that that child was one of the new spirits and that as he is down in the live stream that he can influence this new being that's like basically his child that came from his DNA. If you're going to say that things that came from the earth ha contain the spirit of the earth, then you have to then carry it to the children. Say children contain the spirit of their parents, mm. right? It's in, in some form or not, right? Right. So that his spirit would then survive through his children as well. Like there's um, multiple ways of looking at that, but I, I did not catch that she was pregnant. When it yeah. said promise of it's new life, not obvious. I almost, why? I just, I, it didn't, see, I think I just assumed that it had been too long and that that would be dumb I know. if she was pregnant. The, 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 I don't think that the movie does a good enough oh, job man. 
setting up time scale of things. Yes. For you to be able to draw that conclusion from the very vague hint of promise from of this life. promise of new yeah. life, blah, 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 or the fact uh. that the alien touched her womb. And then that's uh. when it kind of all activated. Right. Because what they do with the spirits, she has this like thing that's sort of like inserted into her chest right here. Yeah, that kind of helps. Where her. it's 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 like containing yeah. the phantom particles from spreading and killing yeah. her. And uh, it, it, she's it, it's less and less capable of doing that until they find the seventh spirit in the wasteland. And then they do that surgery real quick where Dr. Sid yeah. implants the, the seventh spirit directly into that. Right. So she's got all seven spirits. She's actually one of them. She's one of the seven. Right. She was the first. Um, so she's got seven spirits inside of this thing containing that. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that happened, technically she already had all eight, but just didn't know it. So it was already complete and ready huh. to go, but they were still scanning and looking for a compatible right. eight spirit and found one, but it died. But then, oh, I actually had it in me all along. It was my baby was the eighth spirit. Wow. Jeez, man. But they, so it's it wasn't so like vague her, that it wasn't it's really courage. hard to pick that up. Goodness. Yeah. Well, that is crazy stuff. Very interesting. But, I like cool. it better I that like way. I like it a it's, lot. Yeah, it's way better. It's totally. cool. It's more symbolic. It means more. It carries more weight. It helps um, uh, me to understand Gray and, you know, what's kind of happening with him a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, and the fact crazy. that, like, his sacrifice in the end, right, because she's got the wave in her that's right. that is necessary. She's holding on to him, and he sort of, like, carries it through, through his him. body. Yeah, And then it goes right. into the the big giant phantom organism that's right. coming up to them. And then it passes into it and cancels it out or essentially just absolves it or synthesizes it into right. the Gaia spirit itself. And then it becomes, yeah, and that's the synthesis, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. So, anyway. Okay. Well, I'm looking through my last notes here, and basically, the only other thing that I have to really say about this, um, that crater, when you get to the crater at the center of the Earth, there's that that thing there. It it's, looks like a tree, but a dead tree, and it's got these kind of sharp, pointy things at it, and yeah. it's at the very bottom of the, it's at the very center of the crater. Um, but it does look a little bit like that weird thing that she accidentally stepped on and crushed in one of her dreams before she then you see the view from underwater. And we were talking about this on the way up. You told me that when she steps, I thought it was a plant. I thought it was like a dried plant that she accidentally crumbled. Mm. But you you told me that it was actually the the thing itself, the big weird tentacle thing. Yeah. So they have a phantom that they call a meta phantom. And it's the it's the phantom because there's different phantoms. There's like the yeah. more human sized ones, they're a little yeah. taller. And those, then the those big, are a certain ones. alien race that were at war with each other in their planet. Right. And then there's a bunch of other ones that are like animal spirits from that world. Right. One of them is called a meta phantom, which is this one with tons of like tentacles that's yeah. kind of coming at them when they're trying to fly the ship out of the city at kind of towards the end yeah. where all the other crew dudes die right, yeah, and yeah. he like jumps on at the last second and they escape. Yes. So that phantom with all those tentacles is called a meta phantom. And it's one of those, but it's a little tiny baby one. So she basically stepped on like a baby meta phantom. Yes. And and the 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 co- the co-director uh, who was doing the commentary says, I don't think anybody probably could tell no. this, but that's what that is that she's stepping on. Because I was like, that's symbolic. That means something. Uh, but I could not figure out what it meant that she had stepped on this plant. Yeah. But she had accidentally killed the baby yes. of a thing. Right. But then when the thing touches her baby, it becomes new life again or something. Anyways, yeah. 
there's something there now, but I, I had a hard time reading it at first. Yeah, but I did sure. want to bring that up in case anybody's wondering what that yeah. was that she stepped on. Yeah. And it was like a little model, I guess, like a little dried, crispy model <laughs> of, of that tentacle thing. Because it was not a soft, tentacled body, that's for yeah. sure. Okay, two things. Um, first of all, Rob's bringing something up here that I think he's right about. Um, and this would kind of tie into the whole idea of the synthesis between the two Gaia spirits, right? Yeah. The Gaia spirit of the red planet and of the blue planet. And, and, you know, the energy is, is red for the yeah. aliens and the energy of the earth is blue. Well, red is bad and blue is good. <laughs> exactly. I mean, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> we all know this. But um, it's not until the alien spirit, the phantom, touches her womb that the baby becomes the eighth spirit is what he's saying. Oh. It's altered somehow by that interaction Ooh, that turns the baby into the eighth spirit. So there's something about the okay. synthesis of the alien Gaia energy and the earth Gaia energy yeah. that was kind of necessary for that eighth spirit and these two well, spirits I have sort to, of combining. I have to say, okay, um, we can get a little bit Freudian here, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. So, so it's not until the foreign body penetrates her yes. <laughs> in a specific place affecting her, um, you know, the... <laughs> The her womb. You that, would say. That's a very good point. That, it's not just is, gray and her baby. Now you've got some. It's a seed phantom. Almost. Yes, DNA in yes. that baby, and yeah. and you and and that's because she has it in her body sure. as well, and yeah. it's trying to grow. It's like a little baby, but it's like no. There's a proper way to do this, and. Anyways, <laughs> the, way, the way that it happens is that the way when she gets stabbed, and it's it's so interesting that it's from a foreign, it's a foreign thing that shows up, and then kind of like plays its part in the fertilization of this new world, right? Yeah. And that was that was its role to begin with. Like, it's foreign. It's a, like, you can almost think of this in terms of just like the sperm and the egg, right? You, you know, you got the sperm, at which is like the, the woman's body treats the sperm as like a pathogen. It like tries to kill the sperm until finally one of them is able to get into the egg. And then it's like, boom, okay, now, now, you, now we're cool, right? Yeah. This is now a new thing. It's sacred. It's okay. But up until then, it's just like, what are these freaking invading pathogens doing? Get rid of them, right? Yeah. And it activates this, uh, like an immune response at least a little bit. Um, and you can see something like that here. Once their world is destroyed, it it it's almost like it has no purpose now until it can find something and just pass on what little it has left yeah. to give. It's knowledge, it's and memories, so, all those things that it would exactly. have lost in death. And it, it, it you know needs to return somewhere right. to, to continue on. And characterizing the earth as Gaia, which was the goddess of the earth. It was a female. Uh, there's a masculine feminine thing happening here where the, the thing that penetrates and stabs and seeds <laughs> is the male. <laughs> and then the thing that receives and synthesizes and creates the newness is, is the female. Yeah. And you, you kind of, you, you see that happening here on a, on a micro scale and a macro scale that I can actually really appreciate and actually sounds really sweet. If only yeah. I understood it right, before sure. talking to you. Sure. And, and uh, this, I, is kind really of, cool. this is kind of what we mean when we say there was probably a lot more depth to this yeah. before it was sort of rewritten and, and reworked into yeah. the American movie it became. Mm. But I think even beyond the reproductive symbolism and imagery you're talking about, we have the pathogen sort of like symbolism. So, you know, our bodies contract pathogens, they become sick and our bodies adapt to basically make us right. compatible yeah, with yeah. that particular thing. Yeah. You, you get immunization or, or right. whatever, um, right? So this foreign 
It makes you stronger. Object hit the earth on the macro scale. Yep. And the earth, this movie, which the earth is alive, mm-hmm. is adjusting. It has a set of systems that are in place that have these negative feedback loops yep. that sort of equalize and eventually achieve a state of homeostasis. It yes. needs to take in this thing. Yes. And it's going to be sick for a while. Yes, exactly. But eventually but it's, it's going to take it into himself yes. and incorporate it and now be stronger and, and be grow even... and evolve yes. because yeah, of yeah. that pathogen right. which was introduced. And yeah, on the yeah. micro scale, this is exactly what happens with Aki yep. when she comes in contact with this alien the first time. She's got it in her the whole movie. Right. And it's killing her and they're sort of containing it. Yep. But then in this scene in the end where it touches her womb and the baby... This is almost a Sephiroth equivalent with with the whole um, the Genova uh, genes not being compatible with anyone else other than him. But it's because he was in the womb when he was introduced to the Genova cells. And so that's why he adapted and was able to survive and not degrade because of it. Um, So because because Aki's child was introduced to this pathogen Mm -hmm. in the womb, it accepted and became part of its evolution or its growth in the womb right. and was able to adapt and, and make it part of it. itself. Whereas she was not nice. until the baby did. And then she had all the eight spirits. And whatnot. So I think that's I, an interesting, I actually, thing. I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually think this might actually think, be a, a pretty good movie. If you just understand what's happening yeah. before watching it. Yeah, I think I think had, yeah, everyone had who watched the, this should go watch it again. Had the American writers understood a little bit better, and maybe maybe they understood it, but maybe had they been more courageous, yeah, let's say put it that way, mm-hmm. to put more of the focus of this movie on exploring this concept we're talking about, and make it a less plot centered action film, yeah, and had had spent more of its runtime engaging in this kind of philosophy. I think it could have been an excellent film, um, right. but because of how astronomically expensive the film was to make, it became more about no, we got to sell this thing, man. We got to get every person on the planet that's Earth so, to see this movie, that's unfortunate. and we can't do that when we're sitting here discussing Gaia hypothesis. We have to have some action and yeah. shooting aliens. And so most of its 90-minute runtime ended up being that. Yeah. In, in, and, and so we have to have a villain. So let's put this very cliche General Hine character in <laughs> there. Those, those eyebrows, man. <laughs> <laughs> who's going to, you know, me- try to mess it all up. Yeah. And not, again, I don't think anything about this movie is necessarily horrible. I think this movie is viewed by a lot of people as being a horrible movie. It's not that it's horrible. It's I just don't think so. painfully average in its execution. Its execution. Yes. But- in, in, its con- in its concept. It's actually way more interesting, and it's just yeah. so barely explored in the actual movie itself. I, I totally. However, <laughs> I'm going to watch this movie again. I, I think so. And I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. And I hope that everybody else watching this podcast will watch it again, too. I think um, so, I think yeah. this movie actually does have more to offer, even than I thought one hour ago, which is yeah. uh, which is really something. I, I, I agree. And um uh, that's this is the first time because I've seen the movie probably five times in the past. Wow, dang! So I saw it when it came out to DVD in two thousand one or whatever. Two thousand two. That would have been yeah. the first time, and I was like, oh, "This movie's weird." Um, <laughs> nothing to do with Final Fantasy. I don't get it. Um, and then I've seen it over the years and just felt, yeah. oh, "What a painfully average movie!" It's because right. it is. Yeah. But it's not until 
we were preparing for this podcast where I actually learned about, okay, Gaia hypothesis, James, um, what is his name? James Loveland or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually a lot more to this than I ever realized. And I'm really glad I watched a lot of the director's commentary and stuff because there's yeah. a lot of pieces in there mm. that I didn't pick up on. Again, probably too vague, not executed right, not delivered right. in a way that was clear enough probably. And so you miss a lot of that depth that is kind of hiding under the surface of the, of this very bland movie. Um, now, but, I, but the depth is there though. It is there. And it is there. that's what I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's better. It's better than I thought. It so. is better than, than I think a lot of people thought. And, and I think that's the fault of its, uh, sort of surface level writing. Yeah. And, and execution. Um, mm. I think visually it's still pretty beautiful. It's dated, but it's still pretty beautiful in a lot of ways. Art direction, I think is pretty yeah, strong. It still looks very nice. Um, yeah. but there's one more thing I want to talk about before okay. we wrap up. And that's about, um, some of the, uh, CGI and all that. Okay. Um, you know, this was sort of billed as being this movie that was completely made in CGI. They didn't whatnot. use photographs for um, compositing, no. which is crazy. Even even movies nowadays will yes. still do that, right? They, 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 there's a loophole to that, though. Oh, really? They, they wanted to mark it. There's not a single real photograph oh, in the movie, geez. but it is highly integrated and composited with matte paintings. Oh, yes, that's like, right. Almost every a sky. A lot of backgrounds. That's almost right. every sky in the movie. Because yeah. they tried. One of the first sequences they tried to build was the dream sequence. Yeah. And they, they were trying to create clouds, and they just could not make a convincing-looking cloud. Until Fume FX, which was yeah. made specifically, I think, for Harry Potter 3 yeah. by Sidney Sati. Uh, what is a company out in Europe somewhere? Um, until Fume FX was was created yeah. um, in 2004-ish, yeah, you right. could not do explosions not do, or clouds yeah. or mist or any of that stuff. Yeah. It all looks pretty bad. Yes. And yeah. they found that out pretty quick. Like, yeah. we're not going to be able to do this. So they yeah. have... Tons of matte paintings in this. I, I, I did notice if that. You, um, yeah. If you go on the special features of the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever, um, just go look through it. There's a lot of really interesting parts where yeah. if you're looking at it, you're like, oh, wow. This is basically like almost PlayStation 1 level pre-rendered backgrounds. Really? The way they use matte paintings. It's like literally everywhere wow. where they have... Like in that scene with all those phantoms, as many all those phantoms that are staring at them, right? Yeah. There are three actually moving animated phantoms no that way. are CGI. Wow. Each of them had to be rendered separately. Okay. And then the rest of them in that huge group it's are just a image. mad painting. Wow. Um, almost all of the imagery inside the city, whether it's hallways or backgrounds of like the, the Tucson wasteland. See, Square it, is good at all those, of them. though. Square's good at those all backgrounds. All of it is matte paintings. <laughs> wow. The sky, everything in the distance, huh. mountains, everything is a matte painting. None of that is modeled. You know, I did notice a, quite a difference at the very end when you follow that bird as it's flying through. Those mountains were modeled. And they looked yeah. quite different. Yes. Um, and because you got you're to see that perspective. Yeah, that was a there. long shot, yeah, too. Right. Um, you, the, the sunset probably is still a matte painting, but um, you did get to see that there. But for the most part, that's probably the only time where they actually modeled the mountains there. Right. Every other time, it would have just been a static image in the background. Exactly. There's even a shot, it's where they first kind of break out of the prison and they're running through kind of that hallway bridge. Um, and, and they're kind of running through and then the aliens come up and they, oh, they yeah. sort of splits them from the other group and they like, you go that way, I'll go this way kind of Zeno thing. Xenosaga, yeah. So up, there's yeah. a shot where Sid grabs onto a rail and he, you see his hands are not actually 
because it's a matte painting. Oh, yeah. He's grabbing onto a matte painting rail, and yeah. it's right at the bottom of the frame. So it's it's far enough away from the focus of okay. the shot I didn't to where notice. no one would really notice that. But uh. if you look closely, he's he's not grabbing onto anything. Wow. But he's supposed to be grabbing onto a rail that was not modeled. Oh, it's just a matte crazy. painting wow. they're running on. It's huh. just a pre-render background. Right. Just like all of the just Final like Fantasy games from that era. Yeah, right? yeah. So... Anyway, it was really interesting. Play to your strengths. There, there, there is literally way less CGI than you think in this movie. Hmm. It's like um, they, they as as the least amount of models in a scene <laughs> as possible that they could get away with, they did. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> now, there's a lot of parts earlier in the film where that's not true. I think they probably tried early when, in the process. Like to the do, and... Like they were modeling a lot of the debris and things like that in yeah. New York when she's going around and shooting the flares and looking for the first, yeah. or the, I guess the sixth spirit. Um, so there they talk about a lot of things where it's like, man, I worked for like six months on the texture of this tank and you can't even freaking see it. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of that kind of thing going yeah. on where it's very inefficient use of time. Yeah. And so I think they ended up really opting for a lot of matte paintings to sort of like get the thing done hmm. because, um, well, they talk a lot about we rendered this in the lighting. We, we ran into some of this mm -hmm. with some of our because we were starting to yep. get into 3D animation towards the end of our dark pixel channel yeah. where it's rendering, but like the shadows just have all this artifacting yeah. in it and the lighting is just messed up and you don't know what to do to fix it. Yep. And so you try to just, okay, we'll bake that shadow into That's the model right. for That's this right. shot because it just won't yeah, render the shadows yeah. right. <laughs> yes. They were running into a lot of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then this is way before. We well, were using 3DS Max. We were using 3DS Max. This was like This is Maya and 14. like way before render man that. and yes, like render way man, older which, stuff. Um, render man is what Pixar uses. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Wrong camera. There which render man is what Pixar uses for their, you know, for their stuff. But, um, when the, there was a car, there was a scene with that, like, wow, it was like an RV thing that they were driving around through the city. Yeah. And the way that the wheels were spinning. Yeah. Do you remember when we yeah. did that video? We, it was mm. actually hard to get motion blur on tires yes, really on something hard. that's spinning and it's rotating a full 360 degrees on a single shutter. Yes. Right. And then the the uh, 3D program assumes that it just didn't move. Right. right and so right. you got no motion blur. Yeah. And I was looking at it. I'm like, they got motion blur, but I'll bet you they had to do the same workaround that yes. we did, right. which is you have to trick the camera into thinking that it's only done half a revolution, even though it's done more. Um, and a ton of the issues that I I could I almost was reliving like our past days through this movie because yeah. I was like these are the early days man oh, yeah. they were just figuring this stuff out and everything had to be done by hand everything. and so even like a lot of the motion blur and things it was like yeah they, it's there crazy were tons of workarounds tons you just of cheats fake so much stuff that you've yeah, got to like work around because First of all, I mean, like they wouldn't have the physics sims wouldn't no, have been the same. No, like they may have had some basic ones, obviously for her hair uh, and for clothes and stuff. Yeah, but like e even the, the ragdoll or, or the 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 alcohol that was in Heinz cup. Yeah, I'm sure that liquid sim was probably a, a huge nightmare. Oh yes, and I would bet you that they just said I'll do it by hand. <laughs> or like the glass reflections and things like that's that. that's right. There the were so many parts the where they wanted glass. to have rain in the scene, uh, but they knew they were going to have to then do floor planes with reflections, the and they were like screw that dude no it's not raining anymore like tons of decisions like that oh that's great and, and that's it, it, it similarly mm. took me back because we had to do a lot of that too yeah it's we like, did you know we don't have a render farm we, we have, don't have time for this at yeah. the time we were using like 1080 
uh, G G Force yeah. graphics cards yeah. to try to render out these yeah. very like uh, high level. I still feel going back and watching some of them, mm, some um, of it, yeah. the CGI renders. Yeah, and you know, it was taking me. 90 hours to render a frame sometimes <laughs> yeah. on some shots yeah. uh, where my computer, I couldn't work on it for days at a time right, because it was, yeah. it was taking so long to render one frame. And so anyway, um, yeah, took me back, but yeah, that was fun. That's Good it. Times. That's all I have to say about final fantasy of the spirits within. Oh, me too. This was fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. It. Watch it again with my wife. Enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. If you can find the movie, definitely yeah. watch it. I'd love to give her, get her thoughts on it as somebody who's, First of all, not very well. She knows a little about Final Fantasy, but not 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 like ingrained in it as we have yeah. been, yeah. Uh, and who doesn't know maybe the connections between FF Seven right. and this or whatever. Like, what her what would uh, uh, maybe like a more general audience member come away with at all yeah. from this? Because that'll be indicative of maybe what was wrong how with successful the movie, yeah. it was or not at conveying the messages. Yeah. So. Anyway, thanks for watching, everybody. All right. Um, like I said, we're going to have some more podcast episodes kind of like this yeah. as filler episodes in between while we work towards Planescape Torment. Um, so look forward to that. And if you have any ideas, uh, please hit us up in the comments. Any sort of like one-off type of episodes you'd like to see us do. Um, we're, we're trying to collect those. Um, but Planescape is coming. We're just really, we really want to nail that one. I, don't, I do not want to leave anything on the table <laughs> in terms of an, analyzing that game. Uh, nice. We need to do it justice. So, Anyway, peace out, everybody. See you.